The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. There's very few people in this life can say that they've gone from glam rock <laughs> to expert MMA commentary and even fighting in MMA. Very few people, One, other than maybe? you, Robin Black. There might be some lady out there somewhere, <laughs> some chick, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, pretty weird. I, I, I tend to try to do stuff that I like. That's kind of my goal in life, is do a bunch of stuff I like. That's a beautiful goal, man. And if everybody did that, we would have a lot more happy people in this world. Yeah, I think right? you're right. Think yeah, you're you right. do a fantastic job. You work for the Fight Network yeah. in Canada, right? Yeah. And you do a fantastic job of breaking down fights, and your enthusiasm is so contagious. It's really cool. Oh, thanks. I really man. enjoy watching those videos because as a person myself who's a huge fan of fights and just just there's so many aspects that I think that maybe the casual fan might miss yeah or the person who has never trained or competed might miss and you do a great job of sort of encapsulating those really important moments and 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 highlighting them and isolating them and you do it all with passion Th ah. it, it's really fun man thank you that is the coolest thing anyone's ever said to me like I just <laughs> I really fucking love doing these things like you can tell yeah I do like yeah. to spend hours sitting there and look at how beautifully these guys mm -hmm. moves in the moment in time where two unwilling guys are like they each are trying to choreograph their own thing right and what's going on psychically what's going on mentally like it Honest to God, I've done a lot of fun things, and they all seem to kind of lead to this. Mm -hmm. And if I could only do one thing for the rest of my life, I'd spend my time in my little lab researching what's going on when two men fight. <laughs> like, that's what I do with my life. And that's what I do now, and I, I absolutely love doing it. Yeah, you could tell. And um, like I said, as someone like me, who's also a huge fan of MMA and a huge uh, a huge fan of watching two people try to figure each other out in the most dangerous and most uh, the most high stakes sport yeah. I think in the world. Maybe not the most dangerous as far as like I mean I guess like maybe NASCAR is probably more yeah. dangerous, dangerous. Yeah. But the the high stakes of the, the human hand to hand combat to me, there's so much on the line. There's so yeah. much psychologically going on, and there's so many little things like. I'm sure there's a lot that I'm missing if I watch basketball. I'm sure there's yeah. a lot that I'm missing if you watch football. But when it comes to striking and, and grappling and mixed martial arts, the variables are yeah. so gigantic. And the different approaches to overcoming those variables are so gigantic. Like you did a, a, a recent thing on Gunnar Nelson. Yeah. And uh, Gunnar Nelson, who is a uh, jiu-jitsu expert and now an MMA fighter out of Iceland, yeah. who's a really interesting dude, like super stoic. Yeah, yeah cold. Ne yeah, yeah, fucking cold as yeah, ice. Yeah. Never smiles, yeah. never laughs. He's, yeah. he's a weird dude, but wicked jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I remember him from the just before he ever got into MMA or high-level MMA. Um, he beat Monson? fucking Monson, yeah, yeah. who's <laughs> yeah. a gorilla. Yeah. I remember yeah. seeing this little guy on Monson's back. I'm like, yeah. who is that motherfucker? Yeah. Like, that guy's a beast. Yeah. How do you take Jeff Monson's back? Yeah, and it's and it, it, that calmness. He uses that so intelligently. Like, I was I'm reading this. Have you heard of this book, uh, The Rise of Superman? No. Oh, dude, 
You what have to read this book immediately. So mm. this guy goes and he has researched the biochemistry that's happening in the brain at the at the moments where people feel like a surfer feels like at one with the wave. You know, where a free climber feels at one with the wall. There's actually biochemistry happening in the brain. And there's four, four uh, neurotransmitters that are released simultaneously. And in that moment, there's all of these things that humans do better. Uh, one of them is pattern recognition. So when two guys are fighting, you can see patterns in how they move and predict outcomes, mm -hmm. right? And uh, got a, different guys get into it in different ways. The bulk of the research is on action adventure sports, like flipping motorcycles through the air five mm. times and stuff. Because those guys, if they are not in that state, they die, <sighs> right? So the level now, like there's exponential growth in what people can now do in that state. Because it's being, it's sort of a global experiment that men are pushing each other further and further. Mm. I mean, everybody used to gather around to see um, uh, Evil Can Evil jump 10 buses. Now, every day, 10 guys do that and flip four times while doing it. Yeah. You know, so the level of what people are able to mentally accomplish. So that's happening in fighting. And the thing, and I'm obsessed with science. So that, that what's going on physically is fascinating, what's going on psychologically, but the science is crazy. And that's kind of where my research is going now. Like if you could take an EEG and put it on their brain in the highest moments of combat, mm. what's going on in there? I wonder if you ever could do that because if they were in that highest moment of combat and they had an EEG on their brain, would they be thinking the same? Because would they realize they had an EEG on right. their brain? Would it distract them? Well, in theory, if all these people screaming and you sitting at the side of the cage and wearing your underpants getting punched in the face mm. if all that isn't distracting a couple of things on your head it's hard to say though I mean the state what you want to what you want to uh, check with that EEG or something is the mental state the, the biochemistry the neurology happening in the brain and if they're not in that state, you can't do it. But people have done it in other sports. They've done it and looked at what's happening in the brain. And there's something called uh, uh, hypofrontalism, where actually less is happening in the front of your brain during these moments of, of like perfect performance. And that's what this book's about. This guy is like, like chemically analyzing the highest level of performance. So to take that into fighting, these guys are operating at that level now. Like the mm -hmm. top guys, Carlos Condit is operating at that level. You know, he's operating in moments of pure flow. Mm -hmm. And when these guys are in those moments, what's happening in that, that shit's fascinating. Like to look at fights and, under, and look and see that these guys are operating in the highest level of human performance and in that state against each other, they're fighting each other. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, the book is called The Rise of Superman and it's by a guy named Stephen Kotler. And uh, it's got four and a half stars on Amazon.com. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good sign. It's a great book. I'm going to do a little breakdown on what's going on with pattern recognition in that state. And imagine you and I are both in that state. And you know that I'm starting to recognize patterns. You can lay traps for me by doing something called chunking, where you'll go one, two, three, four, and I'll start to recognize that pattern and anticipate it, and you'll change one thing in that pattern and hit right. me, right? So chunking, use, uh, understanding that I'm predicting your patterns and mm -hmm. using that against me, like all of that kind of stuff just fascinates the shit out of me right now. Well, that's always been a big thing about striking, about changing up the speed of your approach um, and also throwing feints in, pretending to go one way and going yeah. another. There's all sorts of different things that people have done to try to offset pattern recognition. Yeah. And each other's brains. Like your, your brain, the better your brain performs, the different I have to approach to make you pay for having such a good performing brain. You know what I mean? <laughs> like your brain can anticipate stuff, so I need to make, you, make that a bad thing for you. 
Wow. You think, you know? So it's, what it says here is that, fi- that flow is caused by a mighty cocktail of five powerful chemicals from dopamine to serotonin. And that's interesting that I've never really thought about it, that, that they have all these chemicals flowing together. Oh. I've always thought of it as just sort of a, a quote-unquote state of mind, yeah. that you achieve a state of mind. But this state of mind being a bunch of neurotransmitters yeah. that are flowing together yeah. in the optimum levels. Yeah, man. Like, think of that. The way, uh, like, this, your state of mind affects your emotion, and your emotion affects your biochemistry, and your biochemistry affects your performance. Mm. So it's, they're linked to each other. Right. So that idea that guys get focused, that focus causes a biochemical change in the brain this is the kind of shit i want to go to next on my breakdowns like mm. start playing with this kind of stuff and evolutionary things you probably read that the hand part of the reason it evolved the way it did was for fighting mm-hmm. have you read that yeah and the jaw and yeah, stuff the shape of a yeah, man's face exactly like yeah. so start looking at what that means and why they're like the science of that kind of stuff is just starting to blow my mind it is totally fascinating stuff and it's also the the thing about this achieving this flow state that's so maddening for people is that it's it just slips through your fingers it's yeah. there and it's gone it's you achieve these brief moments where you've seen it in basketball games where a guy just feels like he can't miss he hits yeah. those three pointers from yeah. the outside in pool i play pool a lot and i you there's these moments they're rare and fleeting but when they come it's like you can't miss but i you know where everything is. I'd be willing to bet you're in that state some huge percentage of time when you're doing comedy. Because once you read about it, there's a whole bunch of confidence that how it affects your your inhibitions and your unwillingness to, to use inhibitions. You're probably in that state almost always when you're hitting it in comedy. Yeah, I would think so because when you're doing comedy, I've always described it as you're more like a passenger right. than you are like the pilot. You're all just, you're just kind of like doing it. And like sometimes words will come out of your mouth and you're like, I don't even know if I could take credit for those words because um, I guess it's not, I, I know it's me. It's coming out of my mouth. I know it's my voice. I know, I know technically I created them. I wrote them, but it's not really me that's doing it. It's like, it's just coming out on its own. And, and a guy who catches an enormous killer wave will say exactly the same thing. Mm-mm. And a guy who walks a tightrope over top of Niagara Falls will say the same thing. You're going into that state in that time. Yeah, you I would are. imagine. Yeah. And in jiu-jitsu, you see it as well. Like when guys are rolling, there's moments where you know like there's a certain transition. Like someone will hit the over-under, the guy will try to escape a flow immediately to an arm bar and then immediately to a triangle. And it's all happening so fast, it's almost impossible for that person to be thinking. Yeah. They're just reacting and hitting those moves and just completely like in that zone. One of the aspects of flow state is that uh, you, you interpret time differently. So you'll hear that from a lot of fighters. I mean, the, one of the things I think that helps me analyze stuff is that when I fought, I had success and I had terrible failures, like terrible, embarrassing, changing who you are as a man failures. How many times did you, you know, fight? Nine. Yeah. And the- I won four of them. I'm, I'm going to do one last fight. I'm going to end five wins. And How five old are you now? Uh, Forty-five. Five wins and five losses, yeah. you're sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> there, I, hey, man, to get to 10, I mean, but I'm telling you, I had the kind of losses that make you question who you are as a man. Mm. You know what I mean? For, right. for days or weeks or affect your pop into your head. Experiencing that, I think that's an analyst's 
life. Mm-hmm. You've, you've t- like I've had a flow state. My last fight, I won in the second round. I literally completely did whatever I wanted for seven minutes. It was perfect. And two fights earlier, I, my brain almost melted down. When I look back, I don't know if I lost vision or if I fainted or what. Like just absolute utter failure. And it, and it hurts you because in our genes, the, the, when males would fight, if one of them would lose, you'd be kicked out of the, out of the, uh, the group. Like you may never have sex again. You may never, a one loss of a fight with another male could change your history for the rest of your life. That's in our genes only X generations ago. And we still feel that. But failure is really fucking brutal. Mm. But it makes you look at these things differently. Like now when I look at these elite level fighters who can do that every every day, I have such a marvel in what they're capable of. And I, and I think that's because I got brutally embarrassed in fight before mm. you know and i think and you sure don't like that experience but it changes who you are and hopefully in good ways later on well it also when you lose and whenever you fail at something and you feel that awful feeling of failure the motivation that comes from yeah. that to never feel that again is almost impossible to recreate without having experienced failure you find it in comedy i experienced it in fighting as well like that those moments where when it's over, you just feel like such a hunk of shit yeah. that, like, yeah. when you're training from then on, you your mm-hmm. intensity is so much higher because the stakes are higher because yeah. you know that the, this a brutal beatdown by somebody is such a, a horrible proposition, not just in the moment, but after that moment, the, the thinking about the act, the thinking about it, the same as failing. Like, I think failure as a person, and especially as a man, I think it's a huge part of life. I think it's an important part of life. And it's the people that stay on the couch and don't risk anything that you're that's trying to stay comfortable is one of the worst decisions you could ever make as a man. Trying to stay comfortable is a terrible, terrible path because you're just going to stay soft and weak and you're never going to figure out anything. You're never going to accomplish shit. I've got to do some pretty fun things. I I have a really good life. I like everything that I do. And uh, I got a killer wife and I live in Canada and have fun and stuff. And I really think the only two things that I ever had going for me was that I have a crazy good work ethic and I'm not afraid to look like an idiot. I don't give a fuck. I am not afraid to look like an idiot. Failure sucks and it hurts you, but the being not afraid to be made fun of or or put down or looked at and laughed at and not give a shit about that, you'll try stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll go for things. Like, you'll do stuff. And, uh, I mean... Man, nobody ever had more haters than a guy who wore eye makeup and tried to go into the fight <laughs> game. Like, I mean, fucking everybody hated me. Everybody in Canada. Like, anybody in the fight business. And here I am, fucking six years later. All you can do is put your head down and try to do good work. You can't do anything else. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You can't kiss anybody's ass. I was talking to Eddie about this, too. You can't kiss anybody's ass. You can't beg your way out of it. You can't buy your way out of it. If they hate you and they think you're a joke, the only answer is to just do, try to do great work. There's no other, there's no other cure. And uh, that's what I tried to do. Yeah, yeah, I think in that sense, sometimes it's good to have haters because it <laughs> it keeps you motivated. Yeah. It keeps you motivated, and it also it's it's a balancing act. You know, I think I think the world needs yin and yang. The world yeah. needs push and pull. And I think that having some negativity in your life it makes the positivity feel so much better. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense, man. We, I mean, we were just talking about losing. What, what, you know? There is that evolutionary reason and that, like, deep in us that, oh my God, I am never, I'm going to be made 
pushed out of the group and never have sex again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wander the earth alone for the rest of my life. That's in us. But I think also, uh, you know, I forget where I was going with it. <laughs> uh, um, He's not even stoned, yeah, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. No, I had an edible this morning, actually. Uh-oh. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's a miserable, miserable thing. But oh, I know where I was going. Winning is so good because losing so terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, I mean, if losing didn't suck, winning would be, oh, cool, let's go try and win again next weekend. I know? remember when I was competing the day of the competition, there was always moments where I was like, I got to stop doing this. Like, this is just too much stress. This just feels terrible. This is just, yeah. and then once I would win, I would go, this is the greatest feeling the world has ever known. Yeah. Like, people who, I feel sorry for people who don't know what this feels like yeah. to just to to win like a major yeah. taekwondo tournament yeah. or something like that it was just the uh, craziest feeling yeah. like you just felt like wow all that work paid off and that fuels you as a person to accomplish other things it for gives sure. you this this understanding of focus and of motivation and and discipline and then if you apply all those things to anything to yeah. writing to whatever you're trying to do to yeah. building a business to yeah. whatever you're trying to do you can accomplish things that you felt were insurmountable before. For sure. I mean, uh, there was uh, the opposite of that, too, is in us, I think we all think if the zombie apocalypse happens tomorrow, I'll be the guy who rolls the car off, my wife picks her up, runs out of here, kills 10 zombies on the way, gets on the helicopter and gets out of there. But that's not entirely always true. And you need to find that out about yourself. Right. You, you need, need to, yeah, yeah, you need to face the fire to understand yeah. what it's like to be under extreme pressure. Yeah. And, uh, and losing makes you say, I'm not necessarily that guy who fucking flips the car, does that, jumps, kills 10 zombies. But then if you can come back and win, you go, you know what, if I'm at my best, if I'm focused, if I have, I have my shit together, some of the time I can be that guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you kind of hope for. Well, it's also, objective analysis of your own shortcomings and your own strengths and that comes in martial arts it's a huge factor in martial arts because when especially when you're training when you're in the gym and you're sparring with you know if you've got a great gym like you're training at 10th planet jiu-jitsu or something like that you got just a whole room full of killers and everyone kind of knows the food chain. Yeah. Everyone knows where everybody stands. Yeah. And why does everyone know where everybody stands? We know where everybody stands because we're tapping each other out yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. And so because of that, you're forced to really analyze your game. Like, this motherfucker gets me in his guard. I'm in trouble. Like, I got to stay out of this guy's guard. I know this. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I've been caught. I understand it. Whereas if you don't have any experience overcoming adversity, you're like, nobody's catching me. Yeah. And then you get in there with somebody who just ragdolls you. And you're like, what the fuck? And yeah. like, your ideas of who you are change because you you have this distorted like how many guys out there that have never fought have this crazy distorted perception of what they're capable of insane like nobody looks at tiger woods and goes on the right day i'm beating that guy 18 18 holes bro you don't know how i play golf exactly if i played golf i would dominate because i'm taking it to the streets (laughs) it's gonna be fucking street golf you know like guys really think that but that's a lack of understanding of what that really is i mean you can kind of see it the willingness or the ability to go there's trouble I'm going to hit it with this fist. That's in every guy. So they don't understand that other guys have an understanding of physics, an understanding of where the body works, what happens when you hit somebody in the throat, what that the natural instinct to roll away gives them your back. Like mm-hmm. all the most basics, they don't even understand that exists. Right. So they have the idea that if I hit that thing with this thing, I might be able to, to beat it. Yeah, you know, they, they think that somehow or another they're tougher. Somehow yeah. or another they're they're more alpha. They're whatever whatever goofy shit it's they crazy. have in their head, yeah. and it's just a prop. It's like 
it's like a building that they use for a movie, but there's nothing inside the house. Like you have this like this fake facade, yeah. and then behind there, there's no house. Where's <laughs> yeah. your fucking house? Whoa! Yeah. You know, and yeah. some fucking beast mounts you and starts yeah. pounding on you, and you give your back, and you're like, yeah. and then after that's over, you, you're so devastated and defeated, yeah. and who you, your perceptions of who you were were so screwy. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've had guys tell me that they would never lose if they fought. Because my mentality, they're always like this. Yo, bro, yeah. I don't lose. My mentality. Yeah. That's, I've had a dozen. Why, are they all, why do they all have Italian accents? Because <laughs> they're all Italian. <laughs> it's a huge part of my, uh, my culture. The, the Italians, I don't know what it is about <laughs> my people, but they're goofy as fuck when it comes to that. <laughs> they have this bizarre belief in their ability to yeah, fight. That's awesome. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's but, still wrong but, most but of the time. <laughs> if you know, even if it's wrong, like you see, dudes do terrible things, treat people bad, mm -hmm. be assholes. If that guy took a beating when he was fifteen, he'd be a better person. You're right. He would be a way better guy mm -hmm. today. He would treat people better. He'd under, but you know, there's not enough of that going on. We're really soft. Like our culture is really so. Like by uh, Fight Network where I work, there's like a metro where the, you get groceries. And then we used to walk around this building. It takes like four minutes. And they built this path on the other side, so it only takes two minutes now. It costs like 80, 100,000 to strip it out, put this stuff down. Put What the fuck are we doing that for? Well, like, you're in Canada, though. What part of Canada? Yeah, uh, Toronto. It gets yeah. cold as fuck yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, two minutes. I mean, it's like we're going <laughs> to literally spend money to make sure that people don't have to go do more effort for two minutes. Mm -hmm. Even escalators. Like, why do we make this shit? Like, you know what I mean? We, in the history of humankind, there has never been a softer culture than North America. Canada, true. you have never in human history. It's true. It's true. You know? And that's, I think, another reason why fighting is so interesting because in a world like that, let's go see what happens when we see the opposite of that. When we see people who drive it to the hardest level, push it as far as they can humanly go, and go in against another guy. You're talking about uh, a guy saying, oh, you know, I'm hard. That guy's fucking hard, too. Right. The guy you're fighting is also mentally unbelievably talented. He's also, and he's better than you. Yeah, and you he's know? training every day, exactly. and he's objective, and he's got a real balanced sense of who he is. He's a real martial artist. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point that how soft we are is one of the reasons why it's so exciting to see someone compete in such a, such a dangerous yeah. and volatile profession. But the critics of MMA would say, well, the reason why we are so quote unquote soft is that our race, or the human race is evolving and that we are moving towards a state where we no longer require physical conflict. I think that martial arts is the key to that gap in the and this is it would seem like contradictory to someone who doesn't engage in martial arts but I think that the realities of the biology the realities of the body itself and the long history of combat that's ingrained in our genetics our DNA has this long history of all these people before us that had to fight to stay alive whether it's to fight off animals or fight off intruders yeah. or fight yeah. off and this all this conflict is almost built into the system, and one of the best ways, in my opinion, to ensure peace is to actually exercise out all of that conflict in the gym so that it doesn't exist in society. It doesn't exist in the workplace, and it doesn't exist in friendships, and it doesn't exist in, in, you know, in the, the world at large. It only exists in dojos. It only exists in gyms. And some of the nicest, most respectful people I have ever met have been yeah. killers 
murderers i mean in the gym you know in 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 the cage in 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 boxing rings kickboxers the nicest yeah. folks because of the fact that they they have no insecurities when it comes to that stuff they their their focus when it comes to their martial arts is not about you know like it's not about uh, going out and bullying people yeah. on the street or going out and picking fights. No, their focus is in bettering their skills and in doing so and in training really hard. All your need to prove all that goes away. Yeah. Like some, I've seen like MMA fighters that people don't know, and they get into discussions with people, and someone will get douchey with them, and they'll smile and laugh. Like there's a famous story. My friend Tate Fletcher fought on The Ultimate mm -hmm. Fighter. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's a bad motherfucker. It's cool-ass dude, too. Super nice. If you're a friendly guy, Tate's going to be your best friend. He's just the nicest guy ever. But we were in uh, the Hard Rock Hotel, and there was this big fucking kid, man. He was like six foot six, maybe, at least six four, six five. And Tate's like six four. So this guy was bigger than Tate. And uh, like probably like a big just he's probably like college age 23 24 and he was just being a fucking drunk asshole to everybody and just walking around with his shirt off this big giant kid and he got to tate's door and he said to tate like hey man that's my fucking room and uh tate's like no i'm pretty sure it's my room yeah. it's like i got my key right here and i'm gonna use the key and uh, Kate, Tate goes, take it easy. And t Tate opens his door and goes inside. And I had the room next to Tate. So I go inside my room. And I hear bang, bang, bang. I hear banging on Tate's door. And we had our doors open. You yeah. know, we, uh, yeah, we had, yeah, the joining rooms. And uh, I stepped through Tate's door. I go, what the fuck's going on? Is that that same guy? And so Tate opens the guy. He goes, don't you shut the door on me, bitch. Like, it was like some crazy moment yeah. where this guy was just, like not just picking a fight, but going after yeah. Tate once he went into the room. They go out into the hallway. We heard that people do that at all. Just a big yeah. bully. Just yeah. a big bully who used to be, you know, used to being a big bully. And um, Tate goes, uh, "What do you, you know, what do you want to do, man? What do you want to do?" He goes, uh, "He goes, I'm gonna kick your fucking ass." So Tate goes, "Why don't you come over here and swing on me, man? Come on, come on." <laughs> so uh, Tate is standing in front of the dude, and the dude's and the dude is like, "Oh shit, this is really happening." Yeah, right. And then Tate throws an inside leg kick. <laughs> And then pulls guard, <laughs> grabs the guy, pulls guard. Before the guy even knows it, Tate hooks an omoplata, is on the side of the guy, and then security shows up. So he's got this guy in an omoplata. He's got his arm under his neck in an omoplata, and security shows up. And they go, stop, stop, stop. So I go, don't worry about it, man. I go, it's fine. He's just going to put him to sleep. It's okay. And the, and the security guy goes, hey, you're that guy from Fear Factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that moment, in that moment where the security guys are completely going, holy shit, what are you doing here, man? I go, this drunk guy's picking on my friend. And when, when I said, like, don't worry, he's just going to put him to sleep. Tate said that in his head, he was like, all right, I guess I, I'm going to yeah, put yeah. him to sleep now. So I, he yeah. wasn't going to hit the guy. Yeah. He just decided, like, look, if I hit this guy, yeah. then it becomes this crazy assault yeah. and there's marks on him. So Tate just chokes him, puts a rear naked choke on him and sleeps him right there in the hallway. Yeah. His friends pick the guy up, and it's like a scene in a goddamn movie. His friends pick the guy up. They put him in the hotel, the elevator. The elevator door closes, and the guy vanishes. <laughs> and he disappears from life. And that's the life. end. And, and it that just is laughs all night about we, For years. We still bring this up. This shit happened in like 2003. We yeah. still bring this up and because it was so, so ridiculous. Uh, you've seen Ryan, uh, what's his name, that... Uh, 
uh, jujitsu guy in a bar, and and he takes the guy down, takes his bat or mounts. Him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Ryan, Ryan Hall, Ryan Hall. Hall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was Same it was deal. like in a restaurant calm. or something? Yeah, it's right? Restaurant. Yeah. Calm as all hell. Don't yeah. worry about it. Don't worry about it. Gets him down, mounts him, waits till he's exhausted. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Uh, he's used to doing that all the time. Sure. That's the thing about training is like you're used to struggling, like essentially for your life. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the what it what is a tap? You know, tap is a way that you can train where it's safe and someone taps. And what that means is, you know, you got me. But what what does got me means? It means you're dead. I would have died. Or yeah. my arm would have broken in and, half and then, and then you killed me. Then you kill them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially yeah. you're playing a game called I kill you with my body yeah. or you kill me yeah. or yeah. we kill each other yeah. several times yeah. over the course yeah. of a seven minute rolling yeah. session. And then we shake hands. Thanks, man. That was yeah. great. And then you move on to the next guy who's going to kill you. be a better person out into the yes. world and walk out in the world and be a better person. I agree 100%. It ex- and, exercises that stuff out of your system. Yeah. And that's that's the frustrating thing when all of a sudden, you know, I come to town and my wife's here and her friends are like, what's the deal with this war machine and Christy Mack? They don't know about any of this stuff. They don't mm. know about any of the good things about about uh, martial arts. They don't know about any of the good things it does and makes people a better person. They just come in and they're like, hey, some, some MMA fighter beat up a porn star. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't know. Like, they don't know that there's that side to it. Yeah, that that's a makes fucked, your life up, better. fucked up story. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what exactly went down. Like people keep asking me to comment on it. I'll, this is the only thing I would ever say. Any, any time, you know, there's an altercation like that between a man and a woman, and a man hits a woman. It's, it's never correct. It's yeah. always evil. It's always wrong. Yeah. It's beyond fucked that a guy could beat a woman yeah. it's beyond fucked yeah. and it should be it's a, it should be a heinous crime that's punishable in in the, the worst ways possible yep. but i don't know what happened you know all i know is it appears according to her story that he beat the shit out of her yeah. that's what it looks like there's no evidence to the contrary yeah. and that's awful yeah that's, so th- that's all i could say i mean I, i'm not commenting on it until I mean, really commenting on until I know more of what exactly happened. I don't know what the fuck went down, but I don't know how a guy could do that. I I literally do not know how a man, especially a martial artist... Well, he, he always likes to think of himself as not a martial artist. Right. He's a fighter, you know? Yeah, and that's probably true. He's an animal, you know? Yeah. And uh, there are those guys. Typically in the gym, you don't get guys get that good that are animals like that. They don't have enough. They have too much ego to mm-hmm. go, I'm not good at this, so I have to train that to get better. So you don't. these guys come into you know a big gym, and they're new, and they're tough guys. They're gone in a year. They, mm-hmm. they, don't have, they won't have the, the absence of ego enough to train the things they're not good at, and then they end up leaving. So it's rare yeah. that some Somebody has to be very driven of like a, you know, uh, an animal style fighter type to get past that, to get to that level or just be genetically really superior, you know, or whatever. It's rare that that style of person becomes a high level MMA fighter. Yeah, it is. It is rare because if you're that fucked in the head, usually you're not strong enough mentally to keep going and to get to that. Same like War Machine's a, he's a high level MMA yeah. fighter. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. It's it's uh, just so disappointing. I had him in the podcast uh, yeah. was six months ago, yeah. maybe something like that. Yeah, it's a weird, it's thing. unbelievably yeah. sad. But it's, like you said, we don't really. And know. his life's over. Yeah, his oh, fucking yeah. life is over. That's I mean, sure. I don't know what he's going to do because he's been in jail twice now, yeah. and this is the third one. And, and a girl, yeah, a, a pretty little girl yeah. like that. She's tiny, she's man. Hundred pounds. Yeah, <sighs> you don't like to speculate on how this will end. That's changed the subject. It is disturbing. Yeah. It's a weird one too. You know, not just this topic, but it's strange. Like, I like to analyze fighting. I, I don't really like to be an a MMA journalist mm-hmm. because 
a lot of that time you're not talking about fighting. Mm -hmm. Guys are talking about this guy said that thing or this sold that many things or, mm -hmm. you know, why is this guy not a star? I don't care really right. about that shit so much. Like, to me, I'm just, just so unbelievably curious as what is going to happen when Demetrius Johnson fights this guy. Mm -hmm. And then after he fights that guy, sitting there and trying to figure out what the thing was that made that one moment like mm -hmm. that. Do you know Jaron Vallel? Yes. Yeah. Jaron Vallel was, was uh, refing that match. We talk about bad refs. We talk about bad judges. Jaron's cool. And I ran into him in Winnipeg. Actually, Joe Dirksen was at this party, and you were talking about uh, guys that kind of, you know, are cool. Dirksen mm -hmm. works now in a prison, and he said guys will be like, I think I could beat you. And he'll be like, yeah, you probably could. Like Joe doesn't yeah. give a shit. But uh, yeah, Jaron Vallel's there, and he was saying, oh, I really liked your Demetrius Johnson break. I'm like, thanks, man. Whenever anybody like, likes those, it means a lot to me because I, I love doing them, right? And so we're talking about it. He goes, well, you know, tell me what else you saw. And we're, I'm having a beer and whatever. And uh, I said, why? And he goes, well, I was, I was refing that one, so I, did, I looked at a lot of tape too. And I'm like, really? Mm. That's cool, man. He goes, yeah, me and Big John, him and John are very good friends. They'll go on Skype and look at tape together. And so I'm like, wow, oh, that's, that's cool. fucking cool that you do that. And he goes, yeah, I saw a couple of things. Oh, one thing you didn't, he didn't say you missed, mm -hmm. but he suggested, and it was fucking brilliant. Like this referee that was refing the main event picked up on this one that basically when the two guys, when, when Demetrius Johnson ends up kind of in that center zone, not quite in the clinch and not quite at, at uh, you know, in the pocket, kind of mm -hmm. in that middle zone, he'll give you a little shove. Like mm, he'll come to put in, you in a position. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, he is looking for one of your only two logical responses. You're going to back up and he backs all the way out or mm -hmm. you're going to push against his and he goes to the clinch. Mm -hmm. So he goes in as a little sample test and he does it all after Jaron pointed it out. I'm like, holy fuck. I looked at his fights. He always does that. And for a, a referee to go and spend that much time and find that little moment because, and I said, why did you do that? He goes, well, I just wanted to be in the right moment and right places and be aware of what mm -hmm. was going on. I'm like, that's a fucking good that's referee. That's a great referee. That's, a, that's yeah. what we need. You yeah, know? that is what we need. And that's a, an excellent example in Demetrius Johnson of a guy who's trained by one of the best in the world, yeah. in Matt Hume. I did a breakdown of Matt Hume's first uh, fight in Pancras. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a big Matt Hume fan. Yeah. I, I really like him in the corner, too. Yeah. He's great at giving like yeah. technical instructions in between rounds. I think... You know, there's a few guys that are just really good trainers, and you just see it yeah. in the in the examples of the like Dwayne Ludwig. I think right now is the best. Dude, I don't think there's a better striking no. coach on earth. Yeah, Duke. Duke is Duke in is the, right yeah. up there with yeah. him. Right up the, there with him. Duke and Henry Hooft mm -hmm. are in this world of perfection. And Bang Ludwig is pushing the boundaries a little. Mm -hmm. He's trying to test. He's taking new things. Even just the simplest shit that he was showing me. Uh, after, uh, was it after or before TJ's fight? I think it was before. And he was showing me the elements of when guys will go to enter. And you know how like I'll use punches to get you to think up and down and you start responding up mm -hmm. and down? He makes you believe that he is playing with your up and down. And while your brain is focusing in on that, he camouflages his footwork in. So some of the punches are bullshit to make you think about them while he steps off into different places. Yeah. Shit like that. Like, and it's, and he's, oh man, and he is operating like, he's got 700 cups of coffee and I mean, mm -hmm. he's yelling yeah. and he's thinking fast and you can see, talk about flow. When he's teaching, this guy's in a different place. Yeah, yeah. he really is. Yeah. Dwayne Ludwig chugs alpha brain. Yeah. He eats that <laughs> shit like candy. He yeah. eats it all day long. He's obsessed yeah. with, he's obsessed with 
analyzing fights and training fighters. It's yeah. the it's such a huge part yeah. of his daily thought process. Mm. It's it it. it 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 just it, it's engrossing. It just it's it's his whole being, and that's why he's so goddamn good. Yeah, I sat down with him at lunch the day TJ fought Burrell, and when TJ Dillashaw beat Henan Burrell, who at the time was thought of as the best pound yeah. for pound fighter or one of the best pound for fighter, pound for pound fighters in the world, TJ was a big underdog, and TJ went into that fight and dominated Henan Burrell, knocked him out in the fifth round after dropping him in the first, dominating him for five rounds, and then stopped him. But what was crazy was when I had lunch with Dwayne, Dwayne told me exactly what the plan was. Yeah. And then he went out and did it exactly that way. A lot of switching stances, yeah. a lot of capitalizing on Burrell loading yeah. up and standing flat-footed, a lot of stepping to the outside yeah. then immediately countering. And he right. did it over and over and over again. And TJ's a sponge, man. Yeah. I had a chance to watch those two work out together. Wow. And TJ is just a wow. sponge. Yeah. He's a sponge. Everything and Dwayne teaches him. Yeah. Sometimes it's like you got the brilliant teacher and the brilliant mm -hmm. fighter and then the two together make an even bigger yeah. thing. You know? And there's no conflict between those yeah. guys. They're really good friends yeah. and TJ's a completely open book. Yeah. He, his cup is empty yeah. and Dwayne is completely ego free when yeah. it comes to teaching him. He's all about getting TJ better. TJ's all about getting better and they're great friends. Yeah. These guys love each other. Yeah. So they're always laughing and joking yeah. and palling around together. Like when TJ beat Henan Burrell and there was this moment after the fight where they hugged and they're both crying. It's real. Woo! Yeah, fucking real, man. I was tearing up yeah. when I was watching yeah. it. Cage side. Yeah. It was crazy. Amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. It really was. And uh, Demetrius and Matt Hume, similar thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I looked back, it was 1994. It was like four months after UFC won. And I and I went back and reanalyzed because we uh, up at Fight Network we're calling classic pancreas. So we got all the old pancreas uh. and we're commentating them through the lens of today. Mm -hmm. So we're going, you know, this guy does this. Wow, you know, in 2014 that couldn't happen because of this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at him historically in the context of today. It's super cool, man. That is it's cool. the funnest thing. Like guys, don't. There's no such thing as uh, like if I if a guy wants to pass your guard, he just passes it. Like right. in in the nineties, everyone's good at footlocks for some reason. People change position. You get a mount, and you'll like swing your leg over the top to go back to side. So I'm mm -hmm. in the mount, my leg over to end up inside. You'll be in eight, ten different positions. Always kind of they were chaining together submission attempts and positions yeah. to try to make you keep guessing, but it didn't. Like it had overstrayed its welcome. You're looking at it and going, "This doesn't work," but they're still doing it. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Like. Dog shit jujitsu is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, I watched Coliseum 2000 with Hicks and Gracie. Yeah, uh, over his house, like wow. way back in. I kind of say it was probably like 2004 or 2005 or something like that. It was back when Hickson was still thinking about fighting. Yeah. And it was a few years after he had fought Funaki in Coliseum. And he's we were watching fights together. We watched the entire event. And Hickson would break down the movements. And he, he's like, look at all this space. Yeah. All this, you can't have this yeah. space. Yeah. You know, like this, like space to him yeah. was just evil. Like, what is this? You know, because Hickson's jiu-jitsu has always been the elite of the elite. So when he watches like these errors and these things like big goofy movements, mm -hmm. you know, with w big openings, he it would just drive him crazy. Like yeah. he, he would just be talking about all these errors and what's wrong with this and, and so focused on it. And if you watch jiu-jitsu or you watch MMA from 93 and then watch like say Demetrius Johnson in 2014 you're like boy this is like no sport has evolved never, this quickly never and you those two examples 
it's when I looked at Matt Hume, he was better than everybody. Him and Evan Tanner oh, yeah. were better than everybody just because they were fighting like today. Mm -hmm. And you look back, Matt Hume was doing this kind of leg ride and side ride like wrestling position that uh, that Chris Weidman was teaching at a seminar I was at like two years ago. He mm -hmm. was doing it in 1994. Well, he was, had good Muay Thai too. It, Matt Hume had very good Muay Thai. Yeah. Remember he yeah. fought Pat Militich and broke yeah. his nose and yeah, they amazing. stopped the fight. That was crazy. They stopped the fight for a broken yeah. nose. I know. I remember like thinking like, what kind of goofy shit is that? <laughs> you, you look back at these pancreas ones too and it's like there were rope escapes. Like if you go yeah, and you grab a that's rope, right. it's like you've, all, you've got it. And I'm fucking tapping. Instead of tapping, I grabbed the rope. Yeah. And uh, then we're stood up. And it's like, if it is not finished, you win because I grabbed the rope once. But we tried to figure that out. I was going to talk to Dave Meltzer, right, who I don't really know good, but you know we've chatted online and because he understands that history moment because there's also a lot of works back then Le yeah. like legitimately and you when have you say to works for folks who don't know what we're talking yeah. about we mean fixed fights yeah and that's a lot of that has a history because of pro wrestling pro wrestling in japan was huge and that's also where the rope escape came from yeah. that was always like a big thing in pro sure. wrestling a guy would have a hold on a guy the guy would grab the rope and the referee would make them break it was yeah. a way to yeah. keep pro wrestling interesting well when we look back at it we suddenly ram dean and i are calling these and we look at each other like, Fuck, that's that's fake right and suddenly the first time that <laughs> happened we were like well, like, I mean, we have to address that. We uh, Like, your credibility demands that you don't go, oh, and he powerbombed him. I mean, right, right. you can't do that. Yeah, And you're talking about history. We're trying to make this series a history lesson as mm -hmm. well, right? So you have to talk about it. So the the reason it looks the way it looks, you, you, you nailed it. It's like, basically, wrestling was fake. Once upon a time, wrestling was real. Guys went to towns and they wrestled each other and the winner was the winner who could wrestle. But it was, guys got so good and it got so boring that they had to fix them and became pro wrestling. Is that why they did it? Yeah. Is it because guys got so good or is it just because people wanted to control the outcomes? I, I think a bit of both. Because I bet it was more gambling yeah, than anything. Maybe so. Maybe so, yeah. Uh, and then... The, uh, pro wrestling over there these two guys Funaki and Suzuki went and said we're going to take pro wrestling which we love and everyone loves and we're going to make it real and so when they made it real that was Pancrase so mm. suddenly it's like wrestling was real then it was fake and now we're going to make it real again so there were things like rope escapes left in there as you trans as you transferred from fake to real again they stayed there for a bit yeah that's interesting yeah. And, that's and, really interesting and they were so obsessed with the storylines because they were originally wrestling performers that the, most of the works involved them and involved them losing mm -hmm. so in its, in its own way it was only there to create entertainment but it's a weird time in there like for purists and i fucking love the sport you have to make sense of why that was for people so that they're not just it doesn't color mma in a way right but right. it was that moment where mma and wrestling sort of touched each other in the early 90s yeah that is an interesting thing man and it's it's also an interesting thing that i we were saying this that i don't think there's ever been a sport that has changed so much and grown so much mm -hmm. in just a period of 20 years yeah like this 20, if you go to UFC 1 and then go to, well, I don't know, what number are we yeah. on now? Like 177. 78, yeah. 78, yeah. 77. Yeah. If you go and just go to, to 2014, 2003, or 1993 to 2014, it's gone through like a thousand years of evolution. Yeah. Yeah. The, the level is so different. The level of athleticism, the level of endurance, the martial arts skill, like Mind, everything's everything. different. Everything's different. Yeah.
I, I, I think it's one of the things I love about it the most. And like people will talk, John Jones and, and Cormier are like having all this heat. And they ask me about it. And it's like, well, I, it, I don't care. It's interesting. But mm-hmm. for me, the biggest thing about one of the, I, I always say the biggest thing, because I also love the science. I also love the brain chemistry. I love the beauty of the dance, all of it. But one of the things I'm most interested in is it's basically one global science experiment in real time using thousands and thousands and thousands of fights to distill down to the nugget of what's the best. And it still is that. Every 500 fights, the best coaches are going, okay, well, that doesn't work anymore. Well, we've added that. That works. And it's this ongoing distillation down to the purest way to beat other guys. That changes slightly now because of this sort of demand for entertainment from the audience and stuff. And that changes like, you know, guys are rewarded more for standing now mm-hmm. than and certain things. So that alters it. But you, re- you take that out of it. And basically, we just have thousands and thousands of contests all there to help us determine the research of how to be the best fighter ever. Yeah, I have issue with that aspect of it the, the where the the technical aspect of fights changes for it to be more entertaining i, I think it's not good i think it's not smart and i think it takes away from the purity of mixed martial arts expression like what what is martial arts it's all about doing the very best thing in order to win a fight and if you put yourself more in danger so that the crowd roars and you know like well, just drop your hands duke it out i remember a, a guy who's a friend of mine wrote something on twitter and he wrote, uh, you know, fuck technical striking, you know, just stand in the center of the cage and let it bang. Yeah. And meanwhile, that the guy who wrote that is all fucked up now. He's got all sorts of physical problems. He's had a bunch of fights. And he's all banged up. And it's like, no, don't, no, don't think that. Don't say that. Mm-hmm. Like, put that's the, the that is like, you know, like, uh, you know, fuck, fuck thinking. I'm just gonna hit this with a hammer. No, no, you have to think. Like, that's the whole thing. The whole thing is solving the puzzle. And solving the puzzle in striking is about technical striking. It doesn't mean no knockouts. There's a lot of knockouts that come from tactical strikers. It means doing it the right way where you have the most amount of success, the least amount of risk, and you're doing things based on the amount of knowledge that's been accumulated over thousands of years of martial arts. You're applying that in an intelligent way. Johnson, Demetrius Johnson, in my opinion, is the best example yeah. of that. That fucking guy does everything yeah. right. Yeah. Everything he does is perfect. He doesn't rush anything. Yeah. He's n- you never see him slugging it out and fucking dropping his hands yeah. and like, come on, bitch, come on, yeah. bitch. There's none of that stupidity. It's all brilliant martial arts, and he's so exciting to watch. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, p- sometimes people th- say it's not as exciting because he's not finishing guys as much, but. He fucking finished John Moraga in the fourth round of a fight that he was dominating. He finished Joseph, Joseph Benavidez, Benavidez with one the punch. Best guy yeah. in the world at yeah. this weight. Exactly. You know? He's a beast. Yeah. And ba- Bagotinov, the only reason why I didn't finish him because he's EPO to the fucking gills. <laughs> yeah. And who knows what they else. He didn't fatigue. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't fatigue. Yeah, I mean, fatigue is such a part of it. Yes. Like, it's such an enormous part of it. If you are, you know, if everything else is equal, but you're in better shape than the guy, eventually it's no longer mm-hmm. equal. It's yes. really that simple. You know? Well, that's the Nick Diaz strategy. Nick Diaz strategy, Nick is obviously a very high-level martial artist when it comes to his technique and his experience, yeah. and he's obviously a very, very tough guy, but he's also in fucking phenomenal shape. Mm-hmm. Nick Diaz has swam back from Alcatraz twice in the fucking Pacific Ocean Ridiculous. outside San Francisco filled with sharks, okay? He swam yeah. back twice. He's done triathletes. He's, he's triathlons. He's done marathons. I mean, he's a fucking beast when it comes yeah. to his physical conditioning. 
And what he does is just puts a pace. He just makes you run with him. Yeah. Like, come on, let's go. We're going running. We're going running. And he starts throwing these yeah. punches that are like 50% speed. And, hey, come yep. and catch me. Come and mm-hmm. catch me. Like, he'll even yeah. mentally get you pulled in there. He's good at that, too. Oh, yeah. He yeah. starts, come on, bitch. Come on, exactly. bitch. That gets you riled. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know Jack Slack? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That guy's doing killer stuff. Excellent like stuff. Yeah. yeah. Excellent Great stuff. breakdowns. There's, there's a little group of people out there. It's a niche in a niche. And mm-hmm. I'm proud to be part of it. Mine, yes. I stand there and do mine. But. Jack is fucking good. And there's this young guy, Lawrence Kenshin, is really yes, good. Yes, I was going to yeah. mention him. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Good. Yes, he's, he's excellent. He does great I'm breakdowns. So, and I'm so happy that like there's these guys doing it. And instead of going, who's that fucking guy? I'm better than him. What good the fuck? for you. We end up kind of, we're friends yeah. and we're kind of like pushing each other. It's really Well, that's cool. an interesting thing about MMA commentary that's like that as well. Like, I'm really good friends with Michael Schiavello, yeah. really good yeah. friends with Jimmy Smith. I worked with Mike yeah. twice. Good friends with Jason Chambers yeah. as well. He's a great buddy. Yeah. And because I'm um, friends with all these guys that also do my job like there's no like competition amongst each other like i try to get jimmy smith hired by the ufc i when jimmy smith was his contract was going up with bellator i called dana white and i said dude this guy's the best he's great he's really good he's a real martial artist he's a real good guy i go he should work for us you know he's he's fucking great bellator must have understood he was so valuable well they would yeah they were well they were worried also they would worry that who the fuck else is out there exactly i mean it's a really tough gig to have a person who's very passionate and very articulate which Mm -hmm. jimmy is both Mm -hmm. And is really good at breaking down scenarios and situations and is legitimately passionate while the fight's going on. Like, you could see it. And also, not afraid to call out bad refereeing, bad calls, bad judgments. He's really, like, it's very important to him to be honest about the whole scene. There's not that many guys out there. So if they if Bellator did lose Jimmy, like who the what? fuck else? Yeah. Who do they get? You yeah. know, Maybe he does all their me. fights. Yeah, Maybe they probably would call yeah. you, and you would do a great job, I'm sure. I mean, they, Brian Stand does a great job. Good. Uh, Kenny Florian, of course, Kenny does a great fuck, job. Man, the guy, he's always been one of my favorites because he's a regular guy who just figured out how to get the answers to the shit he needed mm-hmm. to get to. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he wasn't some big, powerful genetic specimen. Right. He was kind of a nerd who's like, if I can just figure out how to do this, okay, that worked, but mm-hmm. this didn't. And over time, and he analyzes the same way. But where I was going with Jack, talking about Jack, is he did this, I'm sure it's him, uh, I'm remembering this amazing breakdown on um, Nick Diaz. Yes. And I'm pretty sure it was Jack. If it isn't, if it was a different guy, I apologize. But it's looking at Nick Diaz striking compared to old school bare knuckle mm-hmm. boxers. You know, the guys with the mustaches fighting like this? And it looks at it, and there's so many comparisons. Weight on the front leg, catching punches with the top of his head. Mm-hmm. Like, so many. It's so brilliant. Uh, I'm pretty. It must be Jack, because Jack's the best guy out there. Yeah, he's done a bunch of great stuff stuff yeah. he's he even wrote uh he wrote a whole piece uh on george st pierre versus nick diaz <laughs> which is uh in advance of it or after he, I, I believe it was in advance yeah. and, and he wrote a breakdown afterwards he, he writes a bunch of those things man he's yeah. got he's, he's writing he, part of the reason he's so good is he's working so much he's mm-hmm. in that zone yeah. you know yeah but nobody knows who he really is and uh does anybody he, know what he looks like no <laughs> I, I think he and he doesn't want that and i think that's super cool i think he's british i'm pretty sure he's yeah British. i believe he is too. Yeah, um, but uh, it's cool, man. It's a little niche, but people are finding it interesting. And I always feel like, you know, you look at other sports, and on Monday, 
the ESPN will have a two-hour show, and they will go into what happened. And it won't be like, well, this guy threw a thing, and the, the highlight will only be the catch. Mm-hmm. They'll show what happened at the line. They'll show, they'll talk about what kind of plays these guys called mm-hmm. and stuff. That kind of analysis. Like, all you guys do a fucking killer job. But the before and the after and stuff, that's an area I always wish the UFC concentrated on more, especially during the really passion years. It, like, the, the heavy work has always been on the hype and the excitement and this guy hates and these two are the best and stuff. Mm-hmm. But during that era, you feel like if you got 20% or 30% or 40% of the audience to be obsessed with the technique. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people went and showed how to do a triangle, not how to watch a triangle. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I see but, what you're saying. But it feels like in a lot of other sports, there are... They have spent time to develop a, a certain percentage of the audience that is there because baseball does some crazy shit. I don't know what happens in baseball, but there are guys that talk about how the field moves and what guys do when they're like with rosin and shit. Mm-hmm. And in football, they talk about how the plays are called, what the subtleties are. And you don't see that before and after mm-hmm. in the UFC. You know? Right. And yeah, I agree with you. you know, yeah. It'd be nice to see that. Um, There's a, they're doing a lot of that, though, on the uh, the breakdowns that they do on Fox, on Fox Sports. Yeah. You know, like Carlos Condit does a fantastic job of that. I have seen his. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh. Did I say Carlos Condit? Oh. I didn't mean Carlos Condit. Who the fuck did I? What, who, the, who does that? Um, Dominic Cruz. Dominic oh, Cruz does yeah. a great job of it. To speaking, like you're talking about um, Demetrius Johnson. Dominic Cruz, if he can come back the way that he was, mm-hmm. he's one of those super brilliant, mind blowing performers, too. Yeah, well, he's he's great as far as movement, footwork, and his conditioning is always top notch too. Dominic is just so good at like not being there. Like you mm. you you swing for him and he's off to the left, and yeah. and then he's countering you off to the right, and you're like, fuck him, where is this guy? Yeah. But he does a great job. Like he did a great breakdown of Kung Lee versus uh, Rich Franklin. Yeah, with explaining the right hook. I mm-hmm. think. And he yeah, caused, right hook. Drew out the right hook. Think, yeah, he yeah. did a great job of explaining. Like I. You know, when when someone is like like head straight up in the air and they don't move off the center line, that shit drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I was like, "Fucking, who's training you? Like, why are you? Like, what's going on here?" And then you watch a guy like T.J. Dillashaw, so yeah. f- satisfying because yeah. he does all the right things, because he's constantly moving off the center line, because he's completely unpredictable. Yeah. So, like when Dominic did a great, he did a great breakdown cool. of what Franklin did wrong and where the yeah. errors were. And he's done that for a bunch of different fights. Cool, so cool. Dominic is really good at that. Yeah, yeah, he's fucking talented. Uh, there, uh, when we're talking about Dwayne uh, Ludwig, when he's teaching, he'll say, "You make no errors unless you're making them on purpose." And what he means by that is, if you sh- obviously you show, well, this is here, the guy will throw a punch. We want him to do that, and we'll respond. Mm-hmm. And there was there's a really wild, heavy case of it where you see. And I, I broke it down, and, and uh, if you even just look at the fight itself, you see it as soon as somebody uh, mentions it, was um, Jacare versus uh, Okami, mm. right? So Jacare, the whole fight, all he's got in mind is the overhand right. And the way for him to draw that out is, you know, how everybody, you know, when you talk about the, where the front foot goes, you know, against the southpaw, he's got his front foot intentionally inside, and he's offering a straight line to his chin for the straight left. Mm-hmm. And Okami, you can see him seeing it and going, no, shit, he wants me to throw that. Oh, shit, he's, doing, he's ready to counter it. And the hesitation on Okami is like, it's such a fascinating moment as a guy's going, look, I'm out here. You can hit me with it. 
mm-hmm. he's going, oh, he's telling me I can hit him with it, but he's got that right hand ready. Right. And they're just those moments to me are the fascinating shit. Well, it's also even more yeah. fascinating when it comes to a guy like Jock Ray's because if you do engage, the real fear is that he's going to take you down. Yeah. So yeah. You, there's always this thing when you're striking with a guy who's such an elite grappler. It's like this guy is trying to goad me into a slugfest, but I know that he's going to change levels and take me down at yeah. any moment. So you're always yeah. hesitant <laughs> to really commit to shots and extend yourself because if you extend yourself, it makes it much more difficult to defend the takedown. Yep. A guy like Okami is also, or a guy like uh, Jacques Ray rather, is also fascinating because started out his career as one of the elite of the elite in grappling and really had bad striking in the mm-hmm. beginning. Like you watch his, when he got knocked out by Makako, just his striking was just very rudimentary, yeah. which wasn't very good. But now he's destroying guys with striking. Like he beat the fucking shit out of Yushin Yuka- <laughs> Okami <laughs> with did. striking. Yeah. And, yeah. like, that's terrifying yeah. to people because now you take this guy who is this just phenomenal top 1% yeah. of all grapplers ever. I mean, I think Jacques yeah. Ray, like, out of elite jiu-jitsu guys, he's, like, top 1% ever. And now destroying people yeah. with stand-up. It's, like, the focus that made him a great jiu-jitsu fighter and the athleticism is now making him an elite striker. And that's terrifying. Yeah. That, what I, it's always kind of an additional terrifying is that you don't see him for like mm-hmm. a year when a guy's not around for a year you're like what the fuck is he doing right like what does he have now mm-hmm. what new things does he have right. what does he do better what's way faster than it was a year ago that always scares the shit out of me it, like excites you and there's a fight coming but you're like shit man what has this guy been doing in the lab for the last year Did maybe you... he's got some crazy shit we don't even know about yeah well you know? he's definitely getting better <laughs> he's not slacking off i guarantee you that but did you see when he got elbow surgery and they cleaned out his elbow did you see no. that? Oh, pull that up, Jamie. Jacare elbow surgery oh, pictures. He had, um, before he fought Francis Carmont, um, he had uh, like like really bad like bone spurs and chips and shit inside of his elbow. It was like, you know, all the years of elbowing people and also of getting arm barred. Right. Like things break off inside your elbow and it becomes like crunchy and you're moving it around. It's just all inflammation and tissue damage. And, and look, uh, we'll show it to you up on the big screen, but it, it, it's really fucking crazy. Like there's a cup of oh, all the things oh. that they remove from his elbow. He's got teeth in his elbow. It looks like teeth. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, disgusting. That's chunks of bone and cartilage. And all ripping apart all the stuff around mm-hmm. it all the time. You know, people don't. You know, it's, how could they? But you, it, nobody really sees a guy like who's a black belt level guy has been training you guys, you and Eddie and and uh, Jacques, these black belt level guys train all their life. They have no idea what that does to their joints mm-hmm. and their bodies. Like jujitsu is a fucking vi- vicious sport. Like it's a hard, vicious sport. Guys will kickboxers will look over at the jujitsu area and they see the guys stretching and stuff. And I go, oh, look at these guys. They won't. They don't want no part of that. They don't yeah. want to go in there have their skeleton all stacked by a guy. Like yeah. it's a vicious sport. Like, well, it's it, a sport that I'm realizing. Like one of the things that I did, I, I made some mistakes with my jujitsu uh, training, and one of the mistakes that I made was for a long time I didn't do any strength and conditioning equipment. The strength and conditioning training I did mostly just jujitsu. Yeah. Like for years and years. I would lift weights like maybe once a week or something like that. I get a little lift in just to kind of maintain my strength and size. But I didn't specifically like strengthen my core, strengthen my spine, strengthen c- certain areas and, and stretch constantly stretch like you got to put as much time almost into that as you do into your jiu-jitsu training just to armor up your body, yeah. just to just to armor up your joints. Not 
so that you can overpower guys and like not concentrate on technique, which a lot of people do have a problem with, like really strong like football players big guys tend to try to muscle things instead like the really technical guys are always the really small guys because they don't have the muscle up option so their option is only to use the proper technique and leverage but you strengthening your body is important just to prevent injuries Uh it's strengthening your hamstrings to prevent knee injuries strengthening your quads prevent knee injuries strengthening your neck strengthening your back like strengthening lower back stretching all that's like a lot of guys slack off on that shit and i did too and i got some some pretty serious back injuries because of that because i wasn't strengthening those areas you know like for the longest time, I, I very rarely worked my back. I didn't do like rows yeah. or any like exercises specifically. So having like an issue with discs and stuff yeah. like that forced me to really concentrate on that. Yeah, that's nasty stuff. Man. Yeah. And then, you know, guys get back injuries. They get st- uh, doctors give them like opiates and stuff. That shit can wreck their lives. You know? Oh, like a bad back sure. injury leads to something like that. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're, you're you know, a you're, Yeah, you're filleting dudes for money for hair. Hey, you know, how'd you like, get there? Uh, it was a, yeah. lot, a bit of a leap, I <laughs> recognize but what but, is your what is your martial arts background when did you yeah. start doing martial arts i uh started about nine uh, taekwondo i have a black belt in taekwondo i trained through all high in school. canada all yeah. in toronto yeah uh ks cho college i lived grew up in manitoba um, you know what like my parents are the coolest people ever on earth I was just like a weird kid, and I really was liked Bruce Lee and stuff. Like, I was really interested in martial arts, and I was pretty hyper and odd, and I didn't have a lot of focus. And they, once they said, if you're serious about this, we'll do it, they would drive me an hour and a half each direction to Winnipeg Whoa. to go train three times a week for my whole, fuck, as a kid, That's teenager. That's It was amazing. It you changed my whole parents, life. Yeah, man. Holy man. shit. It changed my whole life. And, uh, you know, I competed. I did really well and stuff, and, and I enjoyed it. And I did a little, bo- I, I had interest in every martial art, so I did a little Sikaran, which is like a Filipino martial arts. What's it called? Sikaran. How do you spell that? It's S I K A R A N. Uh, do you know it's like Kali? Uh, no, Arnis and Kali Arnis? are an okay. offshoot of Sikaran. It's a Filipino oh. martial art, and it's very much like Taekwondo. But when they compete, they stick their hands in their belt, and it's mm-hmm. all spin kicks and hook kicks and shit. It's super cool. They put their hands yeah. in their belt. They compete like wide stance with their head far back, lots of hook kicks off the front, and then no hands. It's a kicking. It's like Savat almost. Wow. But Savat does have hands now. It's modified to have hands over time. But but so I did a lot of that. At Arnis, no which blocking is like, uh, either? No, no. All moving your head and your body. It was like really, it was just a very Winnipeg thing. This one central area of, of Canada, this Filipino master of it came there and he started a school. He was a really good businessman. So it ended up being on, in the whole world, if you looked at where Sikaran was taught, the Philippines, and there was a chunk, a little red dot in the middle of Canada because mm-hmm. this guy was there and he had a bunch of schools and people studied and a lot of Filipino population. So I did a little of that and wow, a bit of Muay Thai then. Like, yeah, yeah Sikaran's really cool. Check it out. I don't know how much there'll be of modern stuff on the internet, but it's basically a ton of round kicks, hook kicks, and spin kicks with your weight heavy on the back leg. So it's sort of like kicking, like a, a martial arts version of soccer. Like yeah. You can't use your hands. Like at fencing all. with your feet. Yeah, I mean, like, you can't even, like, block. No. That's so no. ridiculous. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> I mean, but is boxing ridiculous? You can only punch. Yeah, but at least you can block. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess, that. Well, the, actually, you would see a lot of, because over the, I always found it interesting, even just as a kid, I was curious, guys would be doing, you'd go to the tournaments and guys are all doing hook kicks and then shift forward and spin kick. All of a sudden, guys started doing this from there where they would just bounce on their back leg hooking. 
mm-hmm. and, and round kicking. So they yeah. bounce towards each other doing that. So they were tapping. It's just an interesting thing as a teenager to see. And then I got I started playing in a rock band in my twenties, and so I didn't do much martial arts at all. After did that. you did you practice music before that? Like when did you get involved in music? I was. Uh, like growing up as a kid, Bruce Lee and Alice Cooper were like my two heroes. Ah, uh, okay. You know? So that's where yeah. the glam rock yeah. came from, like yeah. the makeup and yeah. And uh, late mid twenties, I started playing in a band, and I really liked performing. And I did a lot of jumping and kicking and wearing tight pants, and you know, and, and like it was super <laughs> like David fun. Lee Roth style. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right? And uh, somewhere between David Lee Roth and the New York Dolls. You know, oh, and wow. very drunk, very, very fucked up, like through the whole era. <laughs> like we would go, and we, oh man. Uh, and I told Eddie this story. I haven't told a lot of people this story, but people ask me about it. My friends asked me about it recently. But I was basically on tour. So I do that for like 10, 12, 14 years. And we were touring uh, England and the UK and um, and uh, like uh, Italy and a few places like that. We did really well over there. And I had a seizure from just doing so much drugs and drinking so much. Whoa. And like a bad, like you basically... I had been... The, when I came back, the doctor said the vodka and Red Bull was actually the biggest component the fact that i took a lot of speed over the three days without sleeping let me drink more vodka and red bull but basically as the sugar leaves your body it goes down and you and you get sick and when the alcohol then leaves your body it draws more sugar out and you have a hypoglycemic seizure so i i'm laying on the couch i felt terrible for like 10 hours and then all of a sudden apparently i just yelled something and people came over and i felt this electricity shoot down my arms into my hands and they just locked up and I rolled back down and my eyes rolled in my head. I thought it was 10 seconds later and everyone's looking at me like I just got knocked out, you know? And then apparently it was like a minute or something. And I went back and the doctor said, dude, you got to get your life together. Wow. And then I started training martial arts again pretty much that day. And then I trained, you know, three times a week, then five, then seven. Then I was doing jujitsu Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. And Tuesday and Thursday, noon, and 6 p.m. And Wait a minute. You were training jujitsu three times a day? Three times a day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, twice a day, Tuesday, Thursday, for about six months. And then people kind of knew me a little in Canada, like on television doing stuff. I, I was like a reality show judge. And the network said, oh, you're going to fight? Well, why don't we do a TV show about that? Wow. And that kind of allowed me, I really wanted to be in the fight world. That's what I loved. The second I kind of had, you know, been not living a crazy lifestyle, all I wanted to do was martial arts. And then real, really from that minute on, that's all I kind of did. And that's all I was interested in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cr- it's crazy that you blacked out from Red Bull and vodka. Yeah. Yeah. So the hypoglycemic aspect of it is just super bad for you, Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah. They, uh, in fact, Gia, my wife just told me this morning, unrelated, she said, uh, she was on the internet and she said, uh, uh, Toronto looking to ban vodka or, or alcohol and Red Bull served in bars. Just, just popped up this morning on the internet. That's so crazy. Yeah. I never yeah. thought of that as a bad drink. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, very dangerous. There's apparently a lot. Once you something like that happens to you, you look it up on the internet. There's a lot of that going on. Hy- wow. Hypoglycemic seizures as a result of vodka Red Bulls. That's so funny. I, well, th- when it's hypoglycemic, what if you use sugar-free Red Bull? Does it have mm-hmm. a less could of an help, effect? Yeah. <laughs> could mean, help. Could I'm help. I'm trying to give me. Yeah, I'm enabling folks. Give it a go. <laughs> I, I feel like. Um, it's always like a weird thing when you mix an upper and a downer yeah. too, right? And that's yeah. what you're doing with alcohol and Red Bull. But if you smoke a bit of weed and you drink a coffee, it's kind of the same thing. Not really, though, because I don't think weed is a downer. It's not a downer in terms of like a depressant. True. Alcohol is a true depressant. Right. Yeah. Weed, like you could smoke a, a joint and lift weights and have a great workout. I can't. 
You can? No, really? man. Uh, you need to hang out with me more. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> oh, man, all I want to do is like chill out. I'll watch fights. I'll do a bit of writing or whatever, but yeah. I tend to get a little introverted and a little mm. mellow. I don't know. It's just... You know what's fantastic? Yeah. Weed and yoga. Yeah, that would make sense to me it's for amazing. sure. It's amazing. Sure. Stretching. Like uh, I was talking to my friend Aubrey about this the other day. That, like, uh, There's this buddy that we know that uh, makes these... Uh, they're called jambos. These uh, these uh, organic um, uh, edibles. It's like yeah. he uses honey instead of like uh, processed sugar, and they're they're really delicious, and they're super strong. And you know, Aubrey ate one, and then went on this like two hour stretching and wow. like r- rampage with like uh, like using a lacrosse ball to roll out all the oh. the tight tissue. Yeah, and that makes sense. Just makes you really in tune. It makes you feel like I like lifting weights on it because it makes me like feel mm-hmm. like what my body's doing. I, I feel like I can get like a sense, a better, a more in tune, more mm-hmm. sensitive. Yeah, like, I, I'd be afraid of not afraid, but I don't feel like doing something physical. But I definitely give it a try. Uh, is weightlifting for you? That's become like a martial art, right? It is to me. I think of especially Olympic lifting. That's a martial art. In what way? Like an Olympic lifts, like say um, you know a clean or a snatch. Mm-hmm. You work forever on the little details to try to make yourself calm enough to be able to express yourself with the lift. Like to be able to really put it all together. You move one way wrong, you don't you don't nail the lift. You distribute your weight different in your feet, you don't nail the lift. You don't drive and tie your hips together with the same time that you're supposed mm. to go up on your toes and shrug, you don't hit the lift. So it becomes this ongoing work to try to make this thing better. I see what you're you know? saying. Yeah. And uh man, like to doing an Olympic clean to me is one of the great things in the world. To be able to just really hit one. It's, it's such a full body exercise yeah. too. It's such it's like really enhances your ability to explode. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're doing anything where you're pushing up from your toes from the ground and extending and lifting it up over your head and forcing your whole body to fucking power that up, everything, your whole chain, your posterior, your, 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 all your, your, uh, your, your core, your spine, like all, everything, your shoulder, your delts, your, your quads, your toes, your toes are pushing. That's why like uh, Steve Maxwell is a big proponent of lifting weights barefoot. Yeah. He thinks that, you know, when you have a, like, especially a spongy sort of a, like a running shoe yeah. on where it's like a lot of give that you're not feeling, you know, you're, you're not engaging your yeah. toes, pushing off the ground. Yeah, I think it also take away some of your force, some mm-hmm. of the force you're exerting, it would kind of absorb it a little bit. Yeah. I definitely, they, a lot of the Olympic lifters around where I go, I go to this place, Bang Fitness in Toronto, and it's just like, it's the best part of my week to go in there. And, um. It, most of the guys who Olympic lift just use the tiny, tiny, tiny shoe. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, little, really thin nothing. sole. Yeah. yeah. I like those. A lot of people criticize those toe shoes. Yeah. You know, apparently they made a bunch of yeah. ridiculous claims yeah. that aren't necessarily yeah. true. But I, I still like them. I love them for lifting weights. Yeah. They're so comfortable for lifting weights. And again, the same thing. They're really flat and they, they make you feel. I like the fact that the toes are all free moving because you can push off with those things. You feel like your yeah. connection to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Olympic lifts. I'm a big fan of uh, obviously of kettlebells. Yeah. I'm a big fan of anything where you're doing these explosive strength yeah. exercises. They just make your body so much yeah. goddamn stronger. You just feel good doing them. Yeah. Like, 
that you know you talk about drugs or or whatever it's like you get endorphins mm. from doing full body lifts hey have you ever seen that uh, on the internet these kinesiologists broke down in like milliseconds Bruce Lee's one inch punch mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That. isn't that yeah. crazy and they show that it's actually the order in which his body fires and it's like the millisecond the shred of a millisecond in between the, the different body parts kind of firing one after mm. the other it's fascinating it is fascinating you know I, I used to be a, a well, I, I'm still am a huge fan of Mike Tyson, but one of the things that I used to always be fascinated about Tyson that people didn't comment on is the size of his fucking legs. Like that's where all the power was coming from. He was like pushing off the floor constantly, like pushing off the floor, and just everything was like thrusting from the bottom. And when you see a guy punching, you assume like, oh, it's his body, his upper yeah. body, his arms are throwing the punch. But really, with like a guy like Tyson, those vicious power punches, it was all coming from his ass. Yeah. It was called from his toes down, pushing off, and all his quads and his upper body throwing it into it. It's amazing how much of that is, in, how much of your your full body is involved mm-hmm. in techniques. Well, and uh, kettlebells, Olympic lifts, stuff like that. That way, that 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 the bottom half attaches to the top half. That mm-hmm. strength in between those two. That's the big, definitely the big. Part. When you compete, what weight do you compete at? One thirty-five. Whoa! Yeah. How do you make? What do you walk around uh, at? Probably one fifty-eight right now. Wow! Yeah, so that's a lot. You drain and, yourself, but, huh? But yeah, I mean, when I was. <laughs> Fighting for me, even at the beginning, was trying to figure out what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. really understand it to the point that I can fairly analyze it. And right. I really felt like that I had to go in and do it. Also, you want to you become a better person going and doing that. You know, mm-hmm. pushing. You talked about it just today. We you're pushing, taking risks, going and putting yourself in harm's way, putting yourself at risk of failure. I mean, right. that, that's part of it. But really, it's to figure out stuff. Being forced to make heavy weight is tough. Going to a weigh-in and seeing a guy want to kill you. That's all of those experiences, I think, it helped my real calling of analyzing fights. Why did you decide to cut so much weight? It started out, my first fight, I probably walked around at 145 pounds. And then you mm-hmm. cut weight. And your next fight, you're 148 pounds. And then you cut all that weight and you come back and you gain, you're 150 pounds. And over, I was also 39 when I took my first fight, now I'm 45. So over the six years, I gained three pounds a year. Just you know, muscle lifting just, yeah, weights. Yeah, lifting and... weights, working really hard, changing my life from, you know, eating burgers and shit and drinking beer at lunch to working out twice a day and, and change, all of that just added three, four pounds of muscle a year. And each time you cut weight, after you've gained the weight back, you fought this and then, uh, you know, you've had your couple of days to eat pizza and burgers and stuff. The weight that you are then is a pound or two heavier than it was the last time you were there. Really? Yeah, at That's least it was for me. Yeah, at least. So these guys, at least maybe in your 30s and 40s. So a lot of these guys, you know, they either have a perfect, and I was going to say they have a perfect diet, but a lot of these guys celebrate the way that you deserve to celebrate after you fought mm-hmm. a fight, and they don't have a perfect diet right after. But it gets that walking around weight creeps up a little bit. At least it did for me. Well, the lighter weight guys, traditionally, those have been the guys that have the shortest careers. Yeah. The lighter weight guys, when they get into their 30s, it yeah. starts to drop off whereas heavyweights in their 30s a lot of times they're just hitting their prime you know like you could have a heavyweight like look george foreman won the heavyweight title at 45 years old 46 actually 
and uh, was the oldest heavyweight champion. It was the oldest boxing champion until Bernard Hopkins recently, yep. which is just the freakiest Crazy. of freaks. Yeah. He's the strangest guy ever. Uh, He's amazing to me. Have, do, you, do you know him? Have you got to know no, him? No, 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 no. I need to meet him. Yeah, uh, I've never met him, but I've, I've admired his style, yeah. and I, I just love... I was amazed back when he beat Kelly Pavlik, <laughs> which was like, what was that, like yeah. 2000 and seven yeah. or something like that you look seven years yeah. later he's still blowing people away it's wild it is wild um who's that football player that was fighting in uh was it Bellator? Herschel walker Herschel walker jesus he's christ 50 something yeah you know like, well, he, he was 48 <laughs> when he was fighting in strike force yeah right oh yeah with strike force of course shredded mm. i mean he was goddamn shredded and just a beast at 48 and but Herschel walker's something going on there that's not kosher i mean with his brain because like he says that he eats like a salad and drinks a bowl of soup yeah. in a day and that's it like that's not even possible no. to keep that kind of mass well i mean we could get some doctors and dietitians and they would 100 percent tell us there's no way that could be true right so when a guy tells you that all he eats is a salad and drinks a cup of soup every day you're like trolling? okay i don't know what he's doing yeah. he might be fucking with people yeah, I don't know. There's something not kosher about that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But he's so yoked. Yeah, no it's also, kidding. it's crazy to see that kind of muscle mass on a 48-year-old guy. Yeah. Like, no loss of muscle mass. In fact, like, he looks he looks like a 25-year-old guy in his prime. Well, the science, I mean, you, it is not cool to suggest that somebody's doing something, but not talking about him necessarily. You mean performance-enhancing yeah, well, drugs yeah. or something. But, yeah, yeah the, the science of... Many guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, the science is there to make a 65. I mean, we've all seen photos of those 70-year-old guys just shredded. Look at Stallone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stallone is like 67 yeah. years old now, and he's ripped. I wish I had his body. No, crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It would be fascinating to get a real, one of these guys on the front end of anti-aging and human performance, that science. To, to figure out, like, okay, a bodybuilder uses this much growth hormone. Mm -hmm. A guy, like, say, an actor on CSI maybe uses, like, this much, you mm -hmm. know, like anti-aging. How much is this 70? How much is Stallone using? You know what right. I mean? To get a sense of where the chemistry is happening. Like, is this more? Is this different? Do you have the new shit that we don't know about? Like, what's going on at the elite level? Like, Stallone was, I don't, I mean, he's not an athlete, so it's it's not a big deal. But he was caught at an airport once with a whole bunch of it was growth hormone. Australia because yeah. it's illegal in Australia. Mm -hmm. They have weird laws yeah. when it comes to hormones, even yeah. hormones that are prescribed by doctors yeah. that don't show any negative effects on the yeah. body when used at normal doses. Meanwhile, they have alcohol at every fucking yeah. store, you know, every yeah, bar, it's and all every corner. Crazy. Science is fucking weird. Well, Medicine's just, weird. It's ignorance. Yeah. It's not the science or medicine that's yeah. weird. It's the ignorance. When it well, it's no, it's 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 the essentially the people that are dictating the rules, the the people that are writing the laws, their ignorance about the understanding the effects of on the human body that yeah. these substances have. Yeah. If if it's done correctly and if it's done through proper medical supervision, it enhances the body. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. Mm -hmm. When you arrest a guy like Stallone who's showing up with growth hormone and he's why don't you just let him take his shirt off and look? Exactly. Do you, does he look bad? He's is healthy. This he's performing well. His, he's happy. His yeah. life is good. What exactly is going on here? Yeah. Well, it's, it's also it's not yeah. like he's competing in some sport where he has some unfair advantage. No, he's an old guy <laughs> who wants to have a body that yeah. works good. For sure. And why is it okay that that old guy could go to the bar and just do shot after shot until his fucking liver collapses and no one stops that? But you have a problem with him bringing in boxes yeah. of human growth hormone. It's, it's weird. It is weird. It's for some reason people. 
when something happens that people decide something is a, a law or bad or they've made a decision on something, mm-hmm. it takes forever to change it. Like even, and people are anti-science, right? They're anti-science. So it's like you go, no, look, this is why this is good. No, because since the 60s, we've said this is bad, therefore it's bad. You know? Well, I think when it comes to growth hormone and testosterone and all these different things, where the real, where people have an issue is because the way it's played out in the public eye has been all about illegal use in sports. Right. It's been about the Barry Bond situation. Mm-hmm. It's been about Mark McGuire. It's been about all these people that are taking these things and cheating in sports. So because our associations have been all about people getting unfair advantages in sports, people automatically assume that these substances are bad for you. When you look at cigarettes, which are one of the worst things for you ever, no one's stopping that from being legal. Those are everywhere. But people that make hundreds of billions lobby to make that stay legal. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like I'm making a hundred billion dollars. I got to get some some government person to say cigarettes is okay. Let's keep that cool. You know, that's it's motivated by finance, it's motivated by commerce. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. That's why I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, so is you could sell testosterone yeah. too. I mean, that could be motivated by finance as well. It's just there's a big difference between the way people look at – there should be a big difference between the way people look at someone who's doing something that's a performance-enhancing drug that's allowing them to compete in an unfair advan- yeah. with an unfair advantage in a sport yeah. and doing it where if you're a guy like Sylvester Stallone and you're doing it to enhance your life and you're 70 years old or whatever and you're shredded, like, who gives a shit? Let the guy do whatever he wants. Well, what if, you know, there's an element of – trying to let to keep a difference between the people at the top and the people at the bottom what if all the people at the bottom got testosterone that would be harder to manage them harder to kind of what do you them, mean you know like the societal difference between you know the oppressed the people who are kind of at the bottom of the food chain the people like the people who run shit the kind of people who kind of monitor how the world kind of works prefer to keep people watching tv not really you know eating bad food there's uh, smoking cigarettes there's a direction to keeping some of society not super active and those people don't want those people to take performance enhancing drugs they want them to smoke cigarettes and eat hamburgers and shit i wonder if that's a real conscious decision you know there's that's a that's a, a thing that gets thrown around a lot that accusation gets thrown around that there's some sort of a international cabal yeah. that's like looking out to keep the proletariat down but not not sort of so much saying that there's some room somewhere where 20 guys are in there making decisions just the feeling the Mm -hmm. the sort of the way that society kind of breaks itself up these laws happen for this reason it keeps these guys rich the way that society kind of divvies shit out it just kind of ends up being that way i think it kind of ends up being that way more than anybody's trying to make it that way I think that what what people have when it comes to testosterone and human growth hormone and anti-aging and all these, the stigmas that people have on the, the, whether it's the efficacy of them or the the dangers of them, is a lot of it is based on sports. It's a lot of it is based on all the negative press that we've heard about guys taking steroids in sports. And then there's, you know, in MMA, there's this huge issue with testosterone replacement therapy, which was up until very recently legal. Now, um, human growth hormone has always been illegal, Uh but they were never testing for it until recently. When Chael Sonnen got popped for human growth hormone, it was a a big deal because it let everybody know, like, oh, boy, these new tests. Like, I had a conversation with Chael about it right after he got popped. He's like, well, turns out these new tests are really good. You know, and that's that's really what it was. They're doing these tests that cost $45,000 per athlete. Wow. 
Yep, it's all financed by the UFC. Lorenzo wow. pays for all this shit, wow. and you know they're they're testing. I guess the either blood. do it or don't, and they're doing it. And yeah. they're doing it. They have this like really intense chain of uh, evidence where like the guy will show up at your house, take your blood, and it's like you know fucking suitcase. He's got chained to his wrist. Like it's one of those type of wow. deals. The guy travels with it to wherever the lab is. Like it's in his his custody the entire time and they take the blood from your body he signs off on it and they bring it to the laboratory and then the laboratory analyzes it and you're finding you're there's gonna they're gonna find out a lot of guys are taking shit. of course it's it's a really interesting one it's, it's such a large thing it's like people will try to talk about it in a three-minute chunk on tv or write one article about it but it's so it's such a large philosophical thing right mm -hmm. we have to look back at what it means to strive and want to succeed and want to win and the desire to be great and all that i mean shit we can go and and train at elevation which will inc increase your you know, red blood cell count, mm -hmm. but you can't take EPO, which will do the same thing, you know? Right. And, and for a lot of guys, it's like, you know, I want, they want to be great. And it's like at the low levels or the mid levels, guys are broke. They, you know, maybe it's not as vital, but at mm -hmm. the top of it means five or $10 million. And that chasing greatness has always been there. And this doctor's like, I can help you chase grace, greatness. That's naturally, instinctively there to go, well, let's explore everything. Right. You know? Well, that's it, where, like, the Balco guy came yeah, in. Yeah, right. You know, the Victor Conte guy who came along and came up with some different strategies for avoiding tests, some drugs that hadn't been detected yeah. yet that they found were effective. They sort of manipulated the, yeah. the components of some various performance-enhancing drugs. And that's where they got that stuff that they called the clear that they were right. giving, allegedly, to Barry Bonds right. and a bunch of different people. And I had Conte on the podcast, and he sort of explained wow. the whole process behind all wow. that stuff. He's, he's a fascinating cat because now he's kind of working hard to stop doping in sports, which yeah. is like really a yeah. weird position to yeah. take when that was your whole career was like juicing guys up. I think I saw him on like Dateline or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't, recently. I don't know how I feel about that. It's weird. It is very strange. But I also don't know how I feel. I mean, these guys that were on the testosterone, guys like Vitor, mm -hmm. Vitor is the poster boy, yeah. right? For yeah. testosterone. Because if you've seen the photos of him now, of like pre and post. Yeah, man. It's really Different crazy. Dude, yeah, yeah pull, pull this photo of uh, Vitor uh, pre and post TRT because, uh, you know, he's been saying, you know, I'm not on TRT anymore. Yeah. Now it's just TNT. Yeah. And so then yeah. Chris Weidman posts, <laughs> hold on, is this what happens when you replace TRT with yeah. TNT? And he shows a picture of TRT Vitor versus the re recent Vitor yeah. who's off testosterone. And he is shrunken yep. i mean he is really like luke rockhold just said that he has a chicken neck yeah. now i mean it's, it's weird and that's gonna get to him but you know what the easiest thing to do to get a, a guy in the gym a big like now that's no, uh that's the no. wrong photos because yeah. that's a photo of him before testosterone placement yeah. and after what you want to see is during and after chris weidman comments on vitor yeah. belfort trt and f look for a photo the guys will be like well i didn't really need it it's like, then why were you taking it? But yeah, what do you? How can you say that? Yeah, of course. And you look at them, but there's there's definitely like all kinds of stuff at play. Like that will dramatically affect his confidence. Oh that will, yeah, and his confidence. How you throwing spinning head kicks at a guy because you got this level of confidence. He's, I can do it. That's not going to just affect how he looks and what he can do. It will affect the way he performs without question. Yeah, but shrink it, that down so we can see the full image. Yeah. Wow. Look at this. Yeah. Look at his body. Like on the right-hand side, it looks like he's lost at least 15 pounds. Yeah, yeah. and his neck and the swelling under his chin. All That's that. crazy. His, his <laughs> neck has shrunk. His really traps. Look at the difference in the left picture, like how high his traps are, oh, yeah. and the right picture. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, his body is shrinking. But it looks so different. Yeah. 
It uh, it's a strange one too because you go into a uh, gym with bodybuilders, you want to get a guy just freaking out. He's like, oh, he looks smaller today. Don't well, lose their guys, shit. Those guys especially. Yeah, yeah but I mean, a guy's guys. been walking around in the world with, with the craziest body that you've ever seen, mm-hmm. and now people online going, he's got a chicken neck. That's going to affect his choices from here. It's a tough place to be. Stay for offline. Him. Yeah, yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, well, he's definitely going to hear about all these things that people mm-hmm. are saying about him, and it's yeah. interesting because people are saying, like on the underground, people are speculating, like maybe this is going to make Vitor start using again, and if he does start using again, then he's going to piss hot. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all also about like they're testing these guys. Who's testing them? Where are they testing them? Yeah. How are they being tested? You know, is it going to come down to the UFC has to show up at the gym every day while fighters training and have them pee in a cup every day? Yeah. I mean, is that is, yeah, good point. Is, is what is the way to tell if a guy's taking anything? Right. Because you can t- the, the problem with urine tests, especially. Because like j- guys would joke around about it, they would say it's not even a drug test; it's an intelligence yeah, test. You. you know that if you if you test positive <laughs> when they're testing your urine, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> because the, all this stuff, like oral testosterone, is out of your system within 24 hours. Uh, human growth hormone is out of your system within 10 hours. Like you, you can't even test. I don't think human growth hormone without using blood. I don't even think right. you can test right, in urine. So these guys are getting that were getting popped. They were just doing it completely wrong. Yeah. So now that there's this really stringent testing, you got to think. Well, guys are cheating in the Olympics. Right. If they're cheating in the Olympics, like how are they getting away with it? That's like some of the most stringent testing ever. They're te- because they know when they're going mm-hmm. to be tested. That's it's a new protocol, deal. yeah. Mm-hmm. A new thing. It's like, okay, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you set your alarm. You take this one at 3. Mm-hmm. You know, you drink this many liters of something before you do that. Yeah, they'll find a way. I mean, it's because the game is to try to win and try to win every little scenario. And the doctor who's trying to fix this thing, he's got a game to try to win too. People are motivated to try to do great things. And this doctor's assignment in life... Your assignment in life, well, you have 20. Uh, you, you know, you'll make people laugh and call fights and do a million things. But uh, his, his is to beat drug tests. This right. doctor, this one doctor here, his goal is to go out there, wake up tomorrow, and fucking fi- f- figure out how to win this contest mm-hmm. of beating this test. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen to these guys that were on testosterone replacement and now they're off. Because Chael Sonnen's retired. Mm-hmm. He's, he's out of the business. But Vitor is still in it, and Vitor is one of the few guys from 1997 when he made his debut that is at the elite level today in 2014 and is ready to fight for a title. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it really it's is. It's really, really interesting. But hormones are a weird thing, too. I, uh, my thyroid burned out. I gr- and I never thought of this until, like, uh, this, this is how stupid. Like, I grew up by a nuclear power plant like in this town called Pinawa, Manitoba. There's like a nuclear research plant there. Mm. And when I was young, my mom's thyroid went out. And then when I was in my 30s, mine just ended up dying as tumors in it. So if they fixed it up, you take a hormone, two hormones that take uh, your T3 and T4. And uh, the other one is uh, uh, thyroid, uh, TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Those three things go out of whack when your thyroid is off. You feel like shit. Like you can't function when your hormones go out of whack like that. So imagine somebody, I, I don't know what it would be like to have your testosterone at that level, but it's got to throw you the fuck out of whack. Yeah, well, it these guys that get off of it, the thing is when you take testosterone, you put this artificial testosterone in your body, 
your body stops producing regular testosterone. So if they had low tests before, it's even lower yeah. now because your body stops taking it. You're injecting all the stuff into your system. And, you know, he's only 37 years old. Yeah. This is a, It's a weird thing to have, like, old man testosterone levels yeah. at 36, 37 years old. And then to have to face a fucking beast like Chris Weidman, knowing that Vitor Belfort, like, when he fought... Um, Michael Bisping, when he fought Luke Rockhold, when he fought Dan Henderson, all these guys, he was on this artificial yeah. stuff. And it was making him super confident. He was built. He was strong. He was super yeah. explosive. And now all that's gone. Yeah. And now he's still got technique. And Weidman's a motherfucker. He's a and motherfucker. And he's like, man, you look at that guy. You look at what... He's a weird one too. Like you don't even look at him and think he's just a modern amalgamation. He's just genetically better than us. Mm -hmm. He's more handsome than us. He's funnier <laughs> than us. He's more confident than us. He's genetically better than 97, 99% of all men on earth. And he learns fast and he's incredibly driven. And he grew up wrestling and just for the thing about wrestlers, they just spend their whole time dominating other men. That's all they're about growing up. They dominate other men physically. That's mm -hmm. who that guy grew up with. Then he learns well. He's got the best coaches. Everyone believes in him. Like a guy like that. Uh, we called that he was going to beat Anderson Silva. He was in our studio and we're talking to him. And you talk to this guy in advance and he fucking believed without a shadow of a doubt he was going to beat him. Even turned down, remember this, he turned down his contract renewal and said, mm -hmm. no, I'll beat him and then I'll sign my new contract. I know yeah. I'll have to beat him twice. Everything he said came true. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah, he's that's, an animal. Yeah, that's crazy. And he did it all with his knees all fucked up. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of people don't know. He did. He couldn't even bring his heel up to his ass. Like, his knees were so arthritic. And then he went and got that Regenikine done in Germany. Mm -hmm. And then after he had that done, he still had to get his knees scoped. But against Lyoto, his knees were great. Yeah. And now he's throwing kicks at him and shit. And it's he's, he's a different animal. Yeah. He's, He's an unusual dude. He really is. He can take it, too. That's the other thing about Weidman. Like, Lyoto unloaded on him in the fifth round, yeah. and he was still there. Kind of asking for more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fourth and fifth round. When he was at Fight Network, he had a couple hours to kill till he went to the airport, and he was hanging out, and Ram Dean started playing him in ping pong. And Ram Dean was getting a slight better of him. He fucking got dead serious. I want a better paddle. I'm not fucking around here. Dead serious. And he's like, I don't like to lose. He's pacing. He's still having fun. He's still, a, right. he's still we're having a great time. But he did not want to lose that game. It was not in him to let this guy beat him at ping pong. He's not a ping pong guy even. Yeah. He just is not having it. Just not having it. There's a lot of guys like that. I played Jake Ellenberger pool once. And Ellenberger, who's a fucking stud, He's not very good at pool, and <laughs> I've been playing pool a long time, and he's fucking, every time I was winning, he's like, fuck, yeah. shit, damn it. Like, you could see, like, he was handling it, but he didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, like, but that's the quality that makes them great fighters, that yeah. that unwillingness to lose. You know, the, the guy who wants to fight you if you fucking beat him at pinball, you yeah. know, like, yeah. that. that's that quality yeah. that makes them a great fighter, yeah. that hating losing. Yeah. Once you're getting at this point where these guys are the top, top guys, they have to have all of it. They have to have that quality. They have to have that genetics. They have to have those coaches. They have to have that mental game or else there's just no way. That's how good the whole level is now. Mm -hmm. It's still getting better. It's shocking. Ellenberger had that fight with Rory mm -hmm. and he's never been a shit talker. And all of a sudden he was talking all, all kinds of shit on Twitter and stuff. And when he got in there, it raised that pressure so high that, you know, it wasn't that I, 
like I got to beat this guy. It was I just can't lose bad to a guy I called a fruit stick on the internet. Like, mm -hmm. I just, and the pressure of it. That's why when people were so excited about John Jones and Daniel Cormier, I'm like, this kind of although it's great. I love that people are into a fight. I love like that there'll be a million more people than normally watching a fight. That's I love that. That's awesome. But for me personally, I just want to see them fight. They're mm -hmm. going to fight whether they hate each other or not. Right. They're going to go in there and we're going to see 25 minutes or less of these two guys putting together their lifetime of everything to fight. Whether or not that guy hates that guy isn't really all that relevant to me. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I agree with you. Um, I, I was torn on that whole thing because um, part of me loves the fact they're fucking with each other and yeah. getting into each other's heads. But I think that it, it does. it's not a good representation of mixed martial arts to see two guys who are at the elite level have a street fight like that. I hated that. I loved yeah. when they were talking with no mic on because yeah. that was real. That was funny when that John was... Jones puts the mic on. He goes, hey, pussy, are you there? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Him? <laughs> and then I would I kill it. you. I would yeah. kill you. I would it's literally like, oh, kill you. I would literally kill you. And but when they like, start... John, you think yeah. I would just let you kill me? Yeah, that's come on, Daniel. You can do better. I'm a big Cormier guy, man. I'm a, although John Jones is absolutely brilliant. But when they fought each other on a stage, I hated that. Mm -hmm. Stupid. Like, like two of the best athletes in the world, and that's the worst fight I've ever seen. I don't want no part of that. It's bad. People are going, "Oh, you watch that? Show? Oh, you work in that business? Look at mm -hmm. these idiots. That's terrible." But when they were talking about each other with a camera on, that's real. And there's so little real in the world. Mm -hmm. You fucking win some some uh, like hip-hop award and you got to thank god and your fucking producer and you and you know i just feel so blessed and i want to thank the fans it's like fucking bullshit let me see what you say when there's when there's not everybody there yeah that's the thing about that getting john and daniel well uh, apparently that video was pulled yeah it was more. Apparently, when they said, uh, guys, you're uh, on the internet. I think, again, it's Melcher might have that. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, guys, uh, you know, you're being shot. This could be around the world. And, and Jones's face just went like, holy shit. He, he was like, like he realized, you know, <laughs> that was the, that's the best part. I don't know why that part didn't get shared. Well, they, you know, everybody's <laughs> trying to put up an image like John's his depiction of what happened when he first met Daniel. I was just trying to make a new friend. Like, what? Uh, they Come both told on. the exact same story. Yeah. Only he said, he, uh, th I did this, 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 he did that, this happened. He was a dick. And I go, yeah, I did this, this, this happened. But I was just fucking around. But it's, yeah. they tell the exact same story. Well, well, he wasn't even saying he was fucking around. He's like, I was just trying to form a new friendship. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. the fuck you were. You're trying to let some dude who's in your division know that you're yeah. the fucking king. Yeah. You ain't taking me down. You know, he's like trying to let him know. He's trying to fuck with his yeah, head and get, sure. let the gamesmanship begin. Sure. And that that stuff is a definitely, a that's all interesting because that's all real too. That's all having a real effect on the, the outcome of a fight. All of that mental stuff. Uh, you know, guys at the weigh-ins, how they act. I mean, you've, you've seen the, the science where they looked at the smiles and mm -hmm. the wins. You know, and no, guys, there's no? a science yeah, to it? Yeah, these guys. So uh, check that out on, on the internet. These, these researchers, these sociologists go and they looked at hundreds or thousands of UFC weigh-ins and they found that guys who smiled lost uh, an extremely large percentage of them. Really? Yeah, for real. Wow. For real. And uh, because that moment is a moment of the starting of the conflict between the two males between the two alpha males it doesn't mm. start when the cage course starts it starts when we're setting the tone of who's who in there and when the, the smile is a giveaway of a certain there's two kinds of smile one's called the Cheshire smile and it is a smile of I'm gonna fucking kill you and that one doesn't count they look at the actual types <laughs> of smiles it's real it's, it's fascinating that one it, doesn't yeah. count no because it's a different expression there you know you can look at the slivers of expression in in um 
in uh, psychology mm-hmm. and what they mean, and that one means something different. Isn't that fascinating, the, the difference in like understanding facial expressions? Amazing. Like human beings kind of get when someone's creepy, but like <laughs> would a robot be able to figure that out? You know, well, Study finds smiling fighters are losing fighters, yeah. but that's not always true. Not John Dodson uh, smiles every fight. Yeah. That's not a good example. Yeah. No, but He uh, smiled before he fucks people up too. The math, you look at the math and it's like whatever the numbers are. He may, there are ex- exceptions. You know, They might lose whatever, 68% of the time or 63. Mm-hmm. That's high than the 50 that you would think but that still means there's 32 percent of other guys who smile and kick ass it just shows that there is a, a sway you know in the statistical truth of that right? mm, that's funny donald yeah. cerrone and anthony pettis yeah. actually i did a breakdown i'll send it to you of um of uh what the impression of alpha male posturing the imp- the effect that that has on fighting so you know like guys will stand there and they'll have project a certain posture there was a research done at the uh, university of harvard harvard university about alpha posture and what happens if you're interviewing me for a job and i have a certain posture and they interview they talk to you after you'll score me much higher of your opinion of me also, hmm. yeah, and that affects your – when we go to fight, and I, I like Uriah Faber has that a lot, and he, he projects a certain thing, and that will affect your performance. But the, the science actually shows that it affects his performance as well because there's certain postures that when you do them, your testosterone ra- raises a measurable amount and your cortisol drops a measurable amount just by doing a certain physical posture. What? Yeah, it's real, a man. Physical a physical posture, posture makes posture. your cortisol yeah. drop and your testosterone yeah. raise. Well, That's instead real. of testosterone therapy – why don't guys just posture all day? Some guys do. Would that you know, really work? Well, it's there's a few of them and a big one. Somebody tell Vitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Posture just drive that shit all the way. His neck will swell <laughs> yeah. up again. This yeah. traps. Yeah. It's a Harvard research, anyways, and uh, they they did it to measure your your uh, biological responses to your own physical posture. But it mm-hmm. also there's an interpretation of the other guy. So I broke that down, and then I took a piece of Donald Cerrone standing there looking over at Pettis, and then I, I've superimposed what Cerrone said after, and he said, "I looked across." the cage at him and I looked at him I thought dang I pissed him off and he's coming hard and it was the worst performance he's ever had mm-hmm. and he talks openly Cerrone's fascinating because Cerrone's a regular guy who deals with fear and uses it appropriately mm-hmm. and he talked about looking over and he literally said I saw that guy and he said after I knew I had to see a, a psychiatrist like a sports psychiatrist or a psychologist because there's no way I should be about to fight a guy and the thing that's going through my mind is oh man I pissed him off never should happen but it was in part the posture of of um, Pettis that mm-hmm. projected that on him that's interesting. Yeah. All each of these uh, guys who wear red win a slight percentage larger. All of a sudden, GSP is wearing red every time. Really? Because guys are looking for one and two percent incremental raises, and in, there are certain guys, anyways. Why does red make you win more? I don't know. I would but think I mean, Mike Tyson always wore black. Yeah, well, Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mike Tyson could have worn pink. Yeah, yeah, fuck, that's okay. It's probably something that you see in the wild when you see you know, a certain color in nature and it has an effect on you. Red, but each, huh? Yeah, yeah. Each of these things might be 1% or 2%. In the end, if you can't fucking fight, it doesn't matter. Right. right. You know, so like, if you have the physical skills and you have the yeah. technique and then you add on those other things. Yeah, imagine... you. Both guys at the top level have all that. Mm-hmm. They both have the best strength and conditioning on earth. They both have the entire human history of fighting skills. They both have all the mental training. They have all that shit. Shit, man, if I could get a half a percentage of, of increase on my side in any way, let's stack up two or three of those half percentages. I wonder what the red thing is. That's a know. weird one. Yeah. I, 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 it's true in all sports. 
uh, sports really? teams that wear red have won a slightly larger percentage of time than any other color. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why I red? <laughs> I don't know, man. But this is the kind of shit that fascinates. Me. You know, they also say that like red sports cars get pulled over more. So it's something in nature. It's something that we probably had to deal with as a threat evolutionary Well, red is a threatening thing. Yeah. Like if you see an animal that's red, like a snake oh. that's red, you assume that that's a, a snake yeah. that could poison you. Yeah. You know, but like animals, there's no red predators, are there? Are there? But it, there might have been certain thousands of years ago. Some yeah, shit. of course. Yeah. yeah. So at and some sports, point, red is a winning color. Yeah. Fascinating. So all, they start stacking up all these sciences. So mm. now I got years worth of fucking breakdowns I can do just from all these things to mm. reading and looking. And it's like you start to combine them. You know, you got the the evolutionary hand and you got the jaw and you got red winning. You got alpha posture. You put all that shit together. What the fuck does that mean? Right. That's what I'm doing with my life. That's interesting. You know, I also am fascinated, and I want to bring this back to you um, competing at such a light weight. I'm fascinated by the science of weight cutting and the negative aspects mm -hmm. of weight cutting. Mm -hmm. This is an important part of MMA. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the best examples, in my opinion, is Anthony Rumble Johnson. Anthony Rumble Johnson, who fought at 170 for the majority of the first stint of his UFC career, uh, fought one fight at 185 with Vitor Belfort, actually didn't even make the weight, was yeah. overweight, got cut That's from the UFC, cut. and then started fighting heavyweight, fucked up Andrei Orlovsky as a heavyweight, was destroying Broke guys. Jaw, I think. Yeah, in the first round, almost stopped him. Really, probably yeah. they should have stopped that fight. Then uh, fought in the UFC as a light heavyweight two fights in a row has just been a murderer Phil davis is a world-class dude couldn't yeah. take full full davis couldn't take him down and just got battered yeah. on the feet and then destroyed little nog mm -hmm. in the first round 40 seconds yeah. of the first round just lit him up yeah. like a christmas tree and looks like the scariest guy in the world at 205 pounds when his first career was 35 yeah. Yeah. pounds lighter yeah. than that that's crazy. I remember seeing him in Ohio and I was sitting in the stands. It was Rampage versus uh, Keith Jardine. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the stands and there's these pretty girls. Look at the size of him. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> is that He's amazing. What man. fight is that? Mm, Staples Center. It's probably... Uh, was that Phil Davis? No. It's Anthony Jones. No, God damn, that might have been him when he fought at 170, which is ridiculous. Crazy. But I saw him, uh, and there was these hot girls, and oh, like eight UFC fighters walked over. Oh, hi, great to see you. And I was like, oh, okay, those are the Ohio chicks, right? Mm -hmm. And Anthony walks over just to say hello. I don't know how. Or they might have fucking had a real job. I don't know. I projected that on him because they were pretty. Uh, and he goes over, That's and him I, at 170. I turned to him, to my buddy, and I'm like. That huge guy, that fucking enormous guy looks a lot like Anthony Johnson. And it was Anthony Johnson at yeah. like 240 pounds when he was a 170. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the weight cutting thing. I don't know how he did that. Yeah, I don't know. He almost killed himself probably doing it. And I mean, if, if we're talking about measuring things that really work, looking at the math of like, is this better than this? Okay, great. You're eight pounds heavier than the other guy. That raises your, let's say, your. If we're going to score your likelihood of winning, it raises it 6%. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the, the point of diminishing yeah. returns. So, yeah. What if it drops you 8% because yeah. of the weight cut and stuff? It's true. For me, I mean, all of this was a learning experience so I could be a, a real analyst. That's what I wanted to do. So cutting weight was an experience that I really needed to have and understand it. But it 
just wrestlers did it. They were good at it. Wrestlers were beating everybody, and they were bigger, and everyone else was like, we got to do this. And I think you're right. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you got to see guys get away from it eventually, get away from that huge weight cut. Well, Gunner I wish Nelson. guys didn't cut weight at all. I mean, I really wish they fought at no, when everyone made an agreement to fight at what you weigh. You know, But everybody wants this advantage. Yeah. But the problem is when both guys are seeking an advantage, and they both try to achieve that advantage, what you actually wind up happening is— It's okay. Just go ahead. What you, what you actually wind up happening is you have both guys that are fighting not to the best extent of their yeah. abilities. And so instead, neither guy has an advantage and both guys are compromised. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and think- it's also dangerous when it comes to combat sports. The difference between wrestling, which is a combat sport, but it's not a contact sport in terms of concussive blows. Where you're dealing with striking, there's a big difference. Almost all of the instances of, uh, of brain damage and death that occurred in boxing because of boxing matches were lighter weight fights. Not brain damage, it's like cumulative. Yeah. The heavyweight guys, of course, got that as well. But in fights where guys like had bleeding on the brain and then, were, and then wound up dying, almost all of them. There was one recent one that was a heavyweight bout with Eric Perez, uh, fought a Russian guy, and the guy had some swelling yeah. of the brain, and his yeah. career is probably over. Mm-hmm. That was just a prolonged beating, an unusual situation. Whereas, like, Boom Boom Mancini and Duck Kukim, that was a severe weight cut. Um, Gerald McClellan, severe weight cut. A lot of fighters who wound up having, like, horrible tragedies inside the ring, it was because they had depleted themselves, they dehydrated themselves, and then they got beat up. Yeah, if there's, there's got to be a death in you know a high level MMA one day, and and you'd have you would guess that if there was dehydration in the brain, that would add to it for sure. Well, I, a guy died in Brazil from yeah, cutting weight. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It was liver or kidney failure mm-hmm, or something. Kidney failure. Yeah, which almost happened yeah. to Daniel Cormier yeah, when he right. competed in the Olympics. He had kidney failure. And they pulled them out of the Olympics. Yeah, and that big weight cut that guys do, one of the tools they use is um, hyperhydration, where you use like a ton of distilled water to flush all your sodium. But it also is like a like a, a, a kidney trick, where it's actually doing tricking your kidney to perform a certain way. It's really risky. Yeah, I think in the long run, if everybody just said, "Yeah, let's just fight at a uh, Sam Stout and KJ Nunes had a fight up in uh, in Quebec City, and they just like two days out, they're like, well, "How much you weighing, man?" I'm weighing. 171 what about you like 170 you want to just fight at 170 and they just did it yeah that's smart yeah it is smart i mean why torture yourself especially you're both doing it yeah it just doesn't make any sense if you're both walking around at 185 and you're both cutting down to 170 fight at 185 you know you probably both fight better the the trick is that everything's that arms race we were talking about every everything is somebody looking for an advantage to win so we agree to do it but then I'm lying, and I mm-hmm. actually cut 15 pounds, and now I'm way bigger than you. You know what I mean? Right. That, it, until you find a way to make it have to happen or make something that both guys adhere to for some reason that's safe, this is, this is the way they're going to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like BJ Penn has a weird way of looking at things because uh, BJ, although he dropped down to 145 pounds when he fought Frankie Edgar in his last fight, would not IV. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. Dolce tried to get him to IV. He wouldn't do it. He feels like IVs are cheating. <laughs> That's weird. But, yeah, the IV's cheating, but but cutting weights not cheating. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Yeah. So like dehydrating yourself, getting on the scale at 145 and then drinking water is okay, but Yeah, but putting it into you a different route is not okay. Yeah, there's something about like needles. Yeah. It's not natural, yeah. I guess, the I idea. I wouldn't agree. I, mean, I think most guys wouldn't agree. He's a unique one though, man. But a lot of debate over in our office with a few f- uh, friends and stuff about his place in the world. 
personally, like, I think BJ Penn's one of the greats ever for a million reasons. Mm -hmm. and, and other guys, like, certain people will say, well, his record says this, or he never beat, you know, th there's reasons to that people argue it. But I think the biggest thing is f pure talent. And one thing I think people sort of forget, you see a guy and you go to a guy's back and you trap his arm in there with the hook. That's a BJ Penn. Yeah. You take a guy on the fence and you turn your body sideways and you elbow him when you're defending the single, that's a BJ Penn. Did we really see that at all before he fought Diego Sanchez? You know? Mm. When you when you got a guy in a triangle but he hides his arm over here and you pressure the straight arm bar against your face until he gives you the triangle, that's a mm -hmm. BJ Penn. There's all of these things that he did. Yeah. That, you know? And uh and he, I don't know, it's a weird one. I mean, at the very least, he should be considered one of the most beloved fighters of all time. Well, he's a great fighter, for sure. And he's a, you know, two-division champion. He's, a, he's without a doubt, he's an all-time great. Um, what I think about BJ is that BJ, at his very best, was outside of his comfort zone. He brought in Marinovich to do strength and conditioning, and he just got in this unbelievable condition. Mm -hmm. And when he fought Diego Sanchez, he was probably at his best. Yeah. He was just a destroyer. And he had incredible endurance. I mean, he fought and, you know, was he had the same, like, pace deep into the fight that he did at the beginning of the fight. And that's what plagued BJ. BJ's just extremely, extremely talented, extremely game, very aggressive, but didn't like to train hard, didn't like to push himself, didn't like to get outside. I mean, you know, he'll dispute that. He's, of course he trained hard, but did he train the way he trained when he was with the Marinoviches? Like, he would talk about how he couldn't even hold his kid at night yeah, because he was scary. so tired. But that's what it takes yeah. to be at that kind of level, yeah. you know, and he didn't like that. Well, and when we're sort of on this hand saying absolutely one of the greats ever and the other side of the debate that's one of them and another one was i think his his choices his career choices misunderstanding messages that i think were given to him when fighting and i think the biggest one he fought frankie edgar and he lost and a big thing in his brain was see he doesn't cut weight he's the smaller man and he's faster i'm going to go back up to 170 and i'll be the frankie edgar of 170 you know mm -hmm. what i mean frankie mm -hmm. edgar at 155 him at 170 is theoretically his interpretation of the same approach right. i'm the smaller guy i'm the quicker guy enough with this other bullshit i'm just better i'm going to beat guys and then he fought guys like rory and fucking nick diaz and these monsters there's no way this 145 pounder should be in there with rory mcdonald just size and athleticism he should never been a 145 yeah. or either i don't yeah. think I think he looked like this skinny, emaciated version of BJ Penn when he was there. I mean, yeah, you can make the weight if you just don't eat any food, but then your body eats itself. Like, that's not smart either. The, and then him at 170 was not like Frankie Edgar at 155. Frankie Edgar at 155 is ripped. He's in shape. He's moving fast. BJ had a roll. You know, he looked yeah. pudgy. He looked yeah. soft. He just didn't look like the same guy. And he I, fought well. Yeah. He's a very good fighter. Yeah. But... His physical, his, the, the correct weight for him, I will always think, is 155 pounds. Yeah. Or if there was a 150, maybe. You know, yeah. if that existed. Well, I think 55 is fine. You know, when he fought Diego Sanchez at 55, yeah. it was perfect. I think the issue was that BJ needs, he needed to be outside of his comfort zone. He needed to be away from that camp and be, you know, with a Matt Hume type guy who mm -hmm. organized his entire camp, brought in high level guys, d dictated his training and took him outside of his comfort yeah. zone. Uh, yeah. I but he also likes being in yeah. Hawaii. He likes training in Hawaii. You know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot there. There, uh, there's that 10,000 hours theory, right? Uh, there's mm -hmm. a couple of, you know, uh, guys who have done hard research onto this. And one guy, there's a book called talent is overrated and it's, 
buying that it doesn't matter what you were born with. If you outwork everybody, you'll be the man. And the other one is called the sports gene, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the opposite. It doesn't matter how fucking hard you work. If you don't have that gene, you can't do it. Of course, the truth is somewhere probably in the middle. Well, the truth is most certainly in the middle. The the issue is when you got a guy who's got excellent genetics and is working hard, then you get a John Jones. Mm -hmm. You get a guy who has fantastic genetics and is super disciplined and focused and trains very hard. That's when you get true elite athletes like Jose Aldo. You get the elite of the elite when you have the best of both worlds. When you got a guy who works really hard, but he has shit genetics, he will never achieve greatness. They just don't. I think you could get close to it even five years ago. Like we mentioned Florian. Florian doesn't have no genes. He was just really smart and he worked mm-hmm. really, really hard. And back and look how close he got. Yep. Close but not quite there because he just didn't have the genetics to do it. But he sure as fuck got close for a nerdy little cat from Boston. Well, he didn't have terrible genetics. Yeah. I mean, he was fast. He had good yeah. kicks. He had great jujitsu. Yeah. You know, it's just these elite of the elite, yeah. the BJ Penn guys, the guys yeah. who just, he, they have that little something extra you know these these leota machitas these mm-hmm. you know there's there's guys that just have they have everything they have yeah. genetics like weidman genetics and hard work yeah. and focus and mental toughness yeah. they and have, breeding his family was good his family took care of him pointed taught him the things he needed to learn like he had all of it his dad was an nfl player yeah. you know so it's like <laughs> those genetics are strong yeah. you know and that's that's all a big thing and also i think growing up with brothers there's a lot of fighters that grow up with big brothers that are used to fighting in the house all the time. And those guys wind up being motherfuckers, man, like Matt Hughes. Mm-hmm. Matt Hughes and his brother, his brother was a mirror. Yeah. You know, He's got a twin brother who's also a savage, and they beat the fuck out of each other all the time. <laughs> and when you have that yeah. sort of an environment, man, you yeah. just, you, you're extra tough. You're extra strong. John yeah. Jones, he's yeah. two super NFL, athlete man. brothers. And one of them is just so 340. big. 340. He Jesus. weighs 340. <laughs> and he's still and to this vertical. day. You see this yeah. guy's vertical. That's crazy. It's a beast. It's a, that's not human. Super that's athlete. Certainly not. If you came from outer space and you looked down and you saw a pit bull and a chihuahua, you wouldn't think those are the same animals. Right. You saw me and John Jones' big brother, you wouldn't think we're the same thing. Exactly. You would like, just be like, oh, look, there's two different kinds of stuff. This exactly. one's small and this one's 340. Yeah, Bridget the Midget and Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> They're two yeah. completely different yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, but they're the same species. Yeah, yeah there's, there's genetics that are just undeniable. Yeah. And if you got a guy who's got those fantastic genetics and he is in, just engrossed in MMA, I mean, his, bo- his, his body, his mind, his focus, he lives it, breathes it, eats it, sleeps it, gets up in the morning and thinks, how do I get better? That guy's going to be better than you. Yeah. There's, and also there's physical power, especially when it comes to striking. Physical power when it comes to striking is something you're either born with or you're not. Dominic Cruz is not born with it. Mm. He breaks his hands all the time, and his his, his body's kind of fragile in a way. He's so he got the mind for it. Yes. Yeah. But will he be able to beat a guy like yeah. Barrow? Will he able to be able to beat the guys who have the genetics yeah. and have that physical power as well? There's yeah. these guys that have that knockout power. That's Anthony Rebel Johnson. This is there's a God given yeah. gift. The world has given him a hand of cards, and it is excellent. And then you put him with Henry Hoof, who has a God given oh. gift to take guys like that and make them better. And mm-hmm. now we're now we're terrified. Yeah, it's fucking scary. And man, there's so like uh, the beauty of how he moves 
is like I, I trained with a guy, Evan Boris, who's a, a kickboxing coach who trained with Henry. He was one of the guys carrying his bucket and learning from him. And he's just as passionate. Young guy up in Toronto. And uh, he tells me all, it gives me insight into how Henry thinks and, you know, tries to show me stuff to... Um, you know, in through Henry's eyes. So you feel like you're learning, a, you know, one step down from this, this master, right? And so he, his thing is with a guy like Anthony Johnson is that Henry Hooft is, will say to him, you know, you got to uh, be ready. If you are ready, you don't got to get ready. That's the essential fundamental uh, plan of Anthony Johnson, the way he stands and the way he moves, is at all times you're in a, in a type of balance where you can deliver power because mm-hmm. you have power right. and we just need to keep you in a spot where you can deliver it all the right. time. So his takedown defense revolves around that. The way his footwork works revolves around that. It's all built so that at any moment in time when you throw a punch, you're in the state to be able to smash with it because you have that gift. Yeah, and also when you see a guy like Hooft or anyone who teaches that classic Dutch style of kickboxing, it's such a technical style, and that style can be lost on someone who doesn't understand what's going on, is that every movement has a purpose. Every technique has a purpose. Every technique chains into another technique. The left hook leads to the right low kick, and all these these techniques they go together yeah. like bread and butter they just mm-hmm. they they they're they're a part of a system mm-hmm. you know and Dwayne Ludwig is the best at breaking down a system like he's got books like he was over at my house the other day and he had all these books of detail all his techniques and how they intertwine together and what's he has steps and levels yeah. and he has a whole belt system based around these techniques I mean yeah. he has spent countless hours analyzing and, and 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 categorizing and putting all this stuff together and that's what sort of lost on a a lot of people that you illuminate very well with your breakdowns thank you. thank you i appreciate that man i can't tell you like how when when i wanted to do that i wanted to do it for people like you and bang ludwig and fighters and and people in the i wanted them to like it mm. you know what and it fucking means the world to me that people like it well you break down jujitsu too you broke down eddie's match with Boiler. Yeah. yeah yeah, yeah. jujitsu is something i trained a lot for a while and then i was in an environment where like i was literally in one day heel hooked by like three guys who intended to injure me like it was a really bad environment. And Who then are you rolling with? Yeah, uh, not a you know, rat, but right. but it was like you know people, and there were just guys in the gym. But there was a little culture of guys who like, who's that fucking guy? Wears makeup, he's on TV, he thinks he's a fucking. And they like came after me one day, uh, and so I started. And they were trying to hurt you. Uh, yeah, yeah. On purpose, one for like, sure. Going yeah. for heel hooks yeah. specifically yeah. All, to try two, to injure Two of them you. were specifically heel hooks for the purpose of trying to injure me one day. Wow. And later I heard I'd been you know heard from a number of people that that was a bit of the mo of a couple. Anyways, it's. One of those things, it's like, so I kind of got away from it for a while, and then uh, uh, I started reading Eddie's books, actually. I'm going to train at his place tomorrow night. Eddie's? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I great. was, I trained, last time I was in LA, I trained over there. Fuck, you take one class with Eddie Bravo, and your whole understanding of everything you think you know about jiu-jitsu, the whole thing fucking falls apart. Like, mm. it's, fu- it's so crazy that you sit there, and it's like, these are positions people use. You know, whatever, we'll take 10 or 15 of them. And the guy goes, and in between, as you know, obviously, in between each of those, there's an entire universe of, of stuff to do. In between the, the positions that people already know as positions, entire worlds you know yeah Eddie has done a a fantastic job of not just incorporating his own techniques but incorporating other people's techniques into his style as well and just spent 
just like Dwayne, countless yeah. hours analyzing positions mm-hmm. and using them in the lab, using them in the gym, and using them with high-level guys and figuring out, like, a, a guy in his gym will come up with some new variation on a specific yeah. technique, and then they'll add it to the rotation, and then they'll, right. they'll drill yeah. it, and then they'll and try it from another counter. angle. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember uh, when I was there just that one time, and I had trained with Eddie. We met in Toronto one time. I took him out for a bunch of drinks. And we, it was fun. He's a really cool dude. It's really cool to be have a buddy like that. And uh, have him invite me to his gym and, and stuff. And uh, he, uh, you know, I, I got his books. And, uh, you know, you see, okay, I understand mission control. Make sure you got the leg locked, you know, the invisible collar, do, do, do claw, all that kind of basic stuff. You know, read a little bit about uh, his basics. You read a little bit about twister side control and the twister. And then you think you have an idea of what, what the Eddie Bravo system is if you read that. Like I thought, well, in the world of guys who know about, about MMA, I think I know. You take one class with them, you don't know fucking anything. Like there was something we did from some truck position and my first curiosity was, I need to know how this guy's brain thinks, like why he thinks these, how he comes up with this shit because there was something that felt a lot like a lockdown position from another angle upside down while holding a leg. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, this is the, his brain... Well, there's a lot of techniques. Yeah. You can reverse the positions yeah. of the bodies and just say, like, well, if I... I'm on my back, I get a guy with a triangle. What happens if I'm not on my back, mm. but I'm on his back? Right. And I'm behind him, and then I can I catch triangle there? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. The arm is there. Yeah. It's like... Um, Remember when Matt Hughes choked out Ricardo Almeida? Yeah, yeah, that front choke. It's, and that they TP'd up with his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's essentially an arm triangle, yeah, right. but it's an arm triangle from a completely different yeah. position, from a head-to-head position. Yeah. It's a weird thing, but it's the same position. It's still choking off the neck on one side with the forearm and then with the neck with your own neck and your own, you know, your own body pressing against yeah. it on the other side. And this rest that element of wrestling that where that was sort of a bulldog kind mm-hmm. of wrestling kind of stuff. And the then Schultz headlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the weird like to either in the moment or have trained it, either one is amazing, to figure out that the angle of elevating your hips so high mm-hmm. drove that extra thing. Like, all those little elements yeah. made it beautiful. But uh, you have a black belt under Machado as well? Yes. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, you have two, you have a gi black belt and a black belt in the yeah. system. Yeah. Well, I started training in 96, yeah, well, you know? Wow. And so when you were jiu-jitsu. training in 96 and guys would say, oh, there's some purple belt coming through town, everybody was blown away back then, right? Like, was that the level no, still? No, no, not in 96. In 96, um, well, there was a few purple belts. I mean, I started out at um, um, Carlson Gracie's. Yeah. So I took one class at Hickson's. See, back then in 96, I didn't know that there was a difference between Carlson Gracie right. and Hickson Gracie. Yeah. It was just Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I went from Carlson's to Hickson's is that Hickson's was all the way across town. Carlson's is like much closer to me. It was like a 20-minute difference in the drive. So I just started going to Carlson's. And that was when Vitor had just made his debut against John Hess. And they were actually calling him Victor Gracie. <laughs> and uh, I even accidentally referred to him as Victor Gracie during one of the uh, things that I did for the UFC in 1997, UFC 12, when I first started wow. working for him, babyface. That's he, fucking cr- yeah. UFC 12. Yeah, think about that, man. How long you've been doing that? Yeah. I said that. I've said this a few times. I don't know. If, you probably don't realize it because when you're in stuff, you don't. You often people that are driven don't often pause to look and be proud of what they've done. Maybe hopefully you do that, but that you actually invented. The, the idea of commentating this sport, which is very different than any other one. And there's so many things that people you think are just terms, but they're terms that you said. 
Do you know what I mean? Things、mm. that you said that are common descriptive things, they think they've always existed, but they didn't exist before you said them in a lot of cases. And that's really a, a wild thing the influence in how people observe this great sport and how big an influence that is. You、well, I, I definitely don't think about it, but the, the difference between this sport and a lot of other sports is that this sport, the play by play guy, is not the play by play guy.、Right. The color guy is the guy who's the expert, the martial arts expert, essentially has to be the play by play guy as well because he has to break down the subtle nuances of positions to people that are watching at home, especially when it comes to the ground.、Right. There's a big issue with explaining. Jujitsu to people that don't know jujitsu, so they can enjoy it. Because if someone doesn't know, like, why is that guy hurting?、Yeah. Like, what's 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 going on there? UFC like, one, what happened there? <laughs> exactly.、Yeah. There's especially when it comes to the ground game. There's、yeah. a bunch of positions that need to be illuminated. So when when fights are happening, I'm calling. Like, I'm doing a play by play slash color job.、Mm-hmm. Like, I'm also, I'm, I'm giving, my, like, if you watch boxing, the color guy will say, you know, they'll sort of like. Give you like、uh, an overall assessment of what's going on, but Jim Lampley, who's the play by play guy, will explain like the shots、yeah. that are landing and this and that that's going on.、Yeah. And then the color guy will say, Well, he needs to do that, or yeah, he needs to do this. He says the what, and he says the how and the why. Yes. And、uh, when I worked with Morrow, I did a, like a few dozen shows with Morrow, and uh, he uh, explains to you that in his case, he knows it, so he will do the what. And your job is the how and the why. So、mm-hmm. when you、uh, do color with Moro, it is, he does it old school, which is why he's so natural at boxing. Right, right. You know, right. he transitioned into boxing so naturally、mm-hmm. because he was a, a na- an actual play by play guy. But the odd thing, and I'm a fucking full on Moro fan, and he had a huge influence in helping with a lot of stuff. But because if you're a play by play guy and you're not really obsessed, if you're not deep into it,、mm-hmm. you will start to get certain things where you. Are missing out on stuff.、Yes. So he might say, you know,、uh, he's on his back. Why doesn't he put the hooks in? Well, he wants to ride heavy on the hip. He doesn't want the hooks. He wants to ride, you know. And so you start to th- sort of project what you think is next. And that's why when you do color, you're saying what is happening and what might happen. Well, there's a difference between Moro doesn't train. Right. He's not a black belt. He、yeah. doesn't, it,、yeah. you, you, you have to be. I、yeah. really believe that you have, well, I don't know if you have to be a black belt, but you have to be. A high level grappler to、Expert. understand the nuances. And I think you also should have some competition in your life,、yeah. some form of it where you understand the psychology behind competing, rising to the occasion, what's going on in that moment when you see a guy who's breaking.、Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can learn a lot by watching, but I think doing is really important and critical when it comes to breaking down jujitsu. Um, I've seen, like, I was watching a Pride the other day, and someone,、uh, the, one of the guys, it wasn't Boss, it was whoever he was doing it with, was、um, talking about a position, and it was saying that he couldn't choke this guy out because the arm is in on the guillotine.、Right. Like, he didn't know. At one、know. time, guys didn't know. Yeah,、they、but thought, that's hilarious. I know, it's crazy. But what time、yeah. was that? It was like 93. <laughs> yeah, know, like, people、right? knew in 93、yeah. that arm and、yeah. guillotines were legit.、Yeah. So, like, watching this, this was clearly a guy who doesn't grapple. I think、yeah. it was Quadros. Right. It was a guy who doesn't grapple. He doesn't、yeah. understand, and、yeah. it's just going on his limited、uh, right. book of knowledge.、Mm-hmm. But it's not based on; it's not an extensive,、yeah. comprehensive, like encyclopedia of of training and knowledge and of being obsessed with combat sports. Yeah, for sure. 
uh, Chevello I worked with too, and fuck, is that guy fun? He's great. He's so fucking fun he's to a great work with. Dude, too. He's such a good dude, and he's having so much fun. And trust me, and like if if Moro hears me talking about him and he thinks I'm being critical, it will hurt him. He's a fucking very tender dude, but I'm not. I think Moro's a fucking genius. I think he's killing boxing. I think he's absolutely oh, he's killing great. It. He's amazing. He's great at glory yeah. too. Yeah, he really he's is. a good dude. I like Moro. He is. He really and is. he really does love fighting. You he know, does. it's just what we're saying is just there's a reality of the difference between a play-by-play guy yeah. and the color expert position. Yeah. yeah, and that's why he's such a good play-by-play guy. And, uh, and ju- you know, he can call it. And you're right, the expert color is what's really going on. If you... You know, if you were in this place, what would it feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that guy on the couch, he's, he doesn't know what it feels like. Even just have a guy drive his shoulder under your face to right, turn you right, sideways, right. he doesn't know what that feels yeah. like. It's fucking terrible. And you got to take care of that before you take care of any other thing. It's in this certain positions, like like the Von Fluchoke. Remember when OSP fought uh, um, yeah. Nikita Krylov yeah. and he uh, choked him out with that Von Fluchoke? And yeah. like a lot of people didn't even know what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Because I've been around for so long, I've seen that choke before. I, went, I remember when Von Flew started doing it on people. Amazing. And then we started trying it out in the gym. Really? Fucking, oh, that's so yeah. cool, man. It's the, a weird Seeing technique. history like that, being, because like, you know, there's a big difference between then later going, what was that? Oh, it's a Von Flew choke and going, oh yeah, I remember when, when Von Flew was in the mm-hmm. gym doing it. That's fucking cool. Well, there was also a scene recently where someone was trying this old Boss Root and neck crank. Boss Rutten has this like fireman's neck crank that he would do. Side on? Yeah, it's yeah. like from from like almost like he has a, a head yes. on one side and the leg on the other side and he tries to connect the two of them together. <laughs> and Boss man. used to tap guys with that. Boss is a fucking yeah. physical yeah. beast. You know, he's such a yeah. specimen. But somebody tried it in a recent MMA fight, and I remember in the middle of the fight going, whoa, 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 I've seen this before. Where, what right fucking now. choke? It's like you never see that technique. Yeah, I remember but then all that. of a sudden it's there. It didn't work, yeah. but it could, yeah. you know? When I was talking about Pancrase, Boss was the other guy that it was like, he's walking in the ring, and you looked at that, and it, like you didn't want to be in there with this guy. Mm-hmm. Like he, You see the Boss in Pancrase, yeah, that would have been as terrifying a human being as anybody had ever seen. The, the intensity, that's what I thought about him and Evan Tanner. These guys were kind of competing, and then him and Evan Tanner came in there, and they just fucking went crazy. Like, they just put it on people. Like, mm-hmm. they put a level of hurt on people that would have been terrifying had you never seen that before. Well, Boss was the first, like, really high-level striker in, in MMA. Mm-hmm. I feel like Boss was the first guy, if you watch his pancreas fights, he was blasting guys with kicks like you you hadn't seen anybody kick that hard before it was more about jiu-jitsu before then yeah i mean you had like orlando veet who was like a high-level kickboxer was in the early ufcs but he was only like 165 pounds or something like that he was a small yeah. guy yeah. and he got manhandled by grapplers you know he fought um uh what was his fucking name the big judo black belt guy um his name escapes me yeah i don't know he wound up fighting, the same guy wound up fighting Marco Huas, and Marco Huas uh, mounted him, and he tapped when Marco Huas yeah, mounted him. Right, because oh, yeah, yeah. Back, fear, tap from yeah. fear. Well, yeah. it was also because he thought that it, the position was lost. Right. Like, once a guy got you into that position. It's over. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. for him, it probably was. For him, it probably was. He probably mm-hmm. didn't have an answer for that. So it's like, I can tap now, or I can tap after you hit me six times, or I can tap if you hit me 20 times, or I can go unconscious. Yeah, yeah. There was you know? all, a lot of like shit back then, too, where people didn't know that you could get out of positions. Yeah. And he thought that when you, you got into a position, like that was it. It was <laughs> over, you know? Yeah. Must have been a wild time in the 90s to be trained in that. And 
And uh, because it was foreign to people, like if you told somebody you were training jujitsu, did they know what the hell you were talking about? No, they didn't <laughs> know what it was. Remco Pardue was the oh, dude's yeah, name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? yeah. We, I think we might have called that one recently. Remember he yeah. fought Orlando V yep. and got him in side control and uh, blasted him with elbows? Yep. He was in that judo oh, side yeah, control, right, like right, holding right, the head right. there and just boom, yeah. elbowed oh, him yeah. unconscious. Oof. Yeah. That was fascinating. Yeah, Pardue. Man. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating. It's watching those guys, like watching that sport evolve like that to like in the, the beginnings were just people trying their style out and yeah. finding out that it didn't work at all. Like, remember there was that ninja guy who fought yeah. Pat Smith? Yeah, and doing like those in-step kicks, which yeah. kind of, John Jones kind of brought back. Like, if you have enough reach and you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's but weird. you got to have all that other stuff of course, too. Of course, yeah. You know, these guys thought they were going to kick you once <laughs> yeah. and take Smoke your knee bomb, out. And then, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that say that. You know, hey man, if we fought, I'll just kick somebody in the knee and take them out. Like, yeah, okay, really? Yeah. You really think that it works yeah. that way? Because you know the guy tries to not have you. Yeah. Not only that, he might see you winding up and like going towards his knee. What was this motherfucker doing? Yeah. Like move his knee yeah. out of the way, and then you're missing yeah. things. Then you're all confused. Yeah. Your go-to move didn't work. Yeah, and that's sort of the thing. You've seen it definitely. A guy goes in, you know, at the low levels, kind of where I get to compete and call fights and stuff. Sometimes brand new guys sometimes go in their first thing in their mind. This was going to knock a guy out. The second that doesn't happen. They just didn't really think from past mm -hmm. that. Now it's yeah. a scary and horrifying place to be. Well, I remember Pat Smith fought recently in Glory, and one of the things that really troubled me before his fight, he said, "I'm a one-round fighter." You know, like uh, I fight for one round. You know, this is I'm, I'm there to win or lose, but it's all going out in one round. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't say that. No. Like, that guy's a, only job is to survive one round, and he's got it. Well, not only that, it's a crazy way of thinking. This fight schedule for three rounds. If the guy's exactly the skill level of you, it's going to take some time, man. <laughs> like you yeah. can't. I don't know why he decides to do that. I mean, he's one of those guys that like really likes to put on a show. Really yeah. likes to have an exciting fight. Yeah. And that's one of the things we were talking about earlier is these guys that sort of sacrifice technical yeah. style fighting in order to make things more exciting. But in the long run, that's not good. It's yeah. not good for you. It's not good. It's not it's just not the way to do it. Yeah, and, and it changes things. Like it, that, that idea that we're – the whole thing is going on to try to figure out who's the best, not to figure out who's – close to the best but the most exciting or not to figure out who can if we all agree that you know, takedown defense is going to be the most important thing for the next two years who gets good at that and landing right hands like it's not a it's not a worldwide game to figure out who's the most exciting it's to figure out who's the baddest dude on the planet who's the best fighter in the world yeah yeah and the only way you find that is guys competing at their very best like using all of your like if guys played chess and they just said you know fuck all this strategy and shit I'm just going to get gangster yeah. With my rook, like that's just you know. I mean, that's really yeah, essentially yeah. the same sort, yeah, of sort of decision yeah. making. It doesn't work yeah. that way. It's all about using all of your talents, your mental talents, your emotional control, your endurance, all of those things. Knowing when to push, when to back off, managing your energy during a fight. That's a huge aspect yeah, of it as well. Sure, managing your sure. energy is absolutely critical. Sure. Managing, like, when yeah. do you pour it on? When do you back off? You and know, do you have that under control? Like, mm -hmm. is that taking care of itself out of stress or out of fear or out of danger or because he pushed you? I mean, you, know, you talked about one rounders. Kevin Randleman was like going to fight you for three minutes. Mm -hmm. It was going to be the worst hell of three minutes that you've ever had in your life. But if you could get past it, you've got a chance of beating him now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of those fast yeah. twitch muscle fiber yeah. guys that just, yeah. they have a lot of fucking explosion in the beginning, yeah. but they just slowly mm -hmm. wear themselves 
bows out and then yeah. there's nothing left at the end. Tyron Woodley. Yeah. It's a great example yeah. of that. He, he hates it when you talk about that. I know. Yeah. Tough shit. Yeah. It's, he, it's, yeah. it's important. It's my job. Mm-hmm. And I'm a fan of his. And yeah. I think that he's too big. Yeah. I think he's, he carries too much weight. I mean, the guy's got, he's got a, essentially, he's running a race that's an endurance race and he's got this monster f- truck engine. And he, you know, he's getting two miles to the gallon, but for that first two miles, he's a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, Tyron is one of the best athletes in MMA. Yeah. His wrestling, his physical strength, his, his, his blitzes, mm-hmm. his, those blitzes. Remember what he did too? What's his name? The thoroughbred Jay Huron. Fuck, and even Carlos Condit in the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah, you know Condit. Like until that leg went, you were like, "How the fuck did he survive that blitz?" Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Well, his str- yeah. his lead right yeah. hand is so fast. Yeah, He's yeah. so fast, so explosive. Travels. Good. We talk about uh, Hendricks and how he can close distance. Mm-hmm. This guy even more so. Yeah, um, but uh, the. What some, I think, athletic guys will try to do is make it not an endurance sport. They'll make it a sport of sprints and comms and sprints and comms and sprints and comms. And that would be the way to try to be that athlete. We haven't seen anyone make that work. But Mm -hmm. I think that's what guys are trying to do is, you know, everything is a 30-second on and a 20-second recovery and fight that way. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and uh, train that way and train to recover that way. But I I can't think of anybody we've seen sort of make that really work yet but i right. think that's how that level of athletes trying to do it well it's also chael sonnen uh had a comment on mma and about just the physical demands of the body he's like the reality is that 25 minutes is too long he's like it's too long to fight he goes you mm. can't fight at your best for 25 minutes so it all becomes about managing when you when you explode when you go after the guy when you you know and for chael to say that especially I mean, you think about like his fight with Anderson Silva was a crazy endurance test. I mean, he just went after Anderson that first fight for four and a half rounds, just full clip, took him down at will, just pushed the pace constantly. Most likely, he was on EPO yeah, at yeah. the time. At least we knew he yeah. was later. Yeah, you know. Um, and still, you know, that's his thoughts: yeah. is that it's just too long. Yeah. It's just too long. Yeah. There's except for a guy like Mighty Mouse. Yeah. Which is crazy. Why is that? 130 pounds, you know? 125 like, pound guy yeah. does not have the same requirements when it comes to gravity mm-hmm. and, you yeah. know, there's nothing pulling on him. Yeah. That book I was telling you about that uh, I'm in the process of reading, that um, Rise of Superman, they talk about how some of these guys in these states, a lot of the analysis is guys in skateboards, the guy in the skateboard who jumped over the Great Wall of China, and guys who are flipping and in, in, uh, downhill skiing and stuff, that they start to believe that gravity applies to them differently. You know what I mean? They start to take action as if gravity does not apply to them the same way. I mean, look at these guy jumps the the fucking Great Wall of China on a skateboard. Part of his belief when he's in the state to to try this is he has to suspend reality to even fucking give that a go. Because any normal person looks at that and go, there's no fucking way I can jump the Great Wall of China on a skateboard. But this guy has to put himself into a state where that truth becomes not true. Yeah, fucked That's up. So right? strange. <laughs> I know, right? How does that work? I, I don't know. That's so crazy. I mean, but he, this guy, you'll like the book a lot, man. The, I know the guy I will. compares uh, certain psychedelic trips. He looks at how that also alters the brain chemistry, and those times where people are at one with something, where they've actually, they, in some ways, reality is just that thing we each have. 
and yours is different now. Yours is different in the moments where you bring these these brain chemi- uh, this brain chemistry together in a state of flow. And when you're in that state, your reality is different. And if your reality is different, maybe the fuck you can jump the Great well, Wall of China. Well, it kind of makes sense, right? Because isn't re- reality in a sense subjective in that like how you feel about a moment changes what that moment means to you. So it changes your reaction to that moment. And I think that like those guys that do that park parkour, parkour yeah. those guys have to be like that, that too. That is exactly right. I mean, I'm how the fuck do you think you shit. can do that? Those guys are nuts, yeah, man. Yeah. But they, I mean, you hesitate for one second, you die. That's yeah. and, and that's the same with those flipping motorcycles. Same with free climbing, fucking mount, whatever. Mm-hmm. You you get it. You create a state where if you do not believe for one moment, you're dead. Not well, shit. I lost a fight, or oh man, that cost me some money. Death. Yeah. Death. And these guys, you know, and s- some of them will say, I could spend months learning how to spend t- 20 minutes of yoga to get a taste of that state for a second, or I can put myself on a rock face and have it for three hour- hours out of necessity. Yeah. And that's and that's what some fighters are doing. That's how, I mean, all the top guys are operating in that state, all of them. Yeah, rock, the rock face thing is really interesting, isn't it? When you yeah. see those fucking Alex Honnold crazy fuckers and they climb up these things free climbing. It's almost like a different animal. Mm-hmm. Like uh, human animals walk around. Sometimes we swim and stuff. We don't do that. No. You know? Well, he does, yeah. but he's a human. I mean, yeah. it is, I mean, it's essentially like putting your focus into something and taking that something, whatever it is, to the highest level that's possible. And the mind is a big part of yeah, it. I mean, he sure. was talking about how when you're um, when you're rock climbing. I had him on the podcast. He was oh, talking cool. about rock climbing. That when you're you're doing it, you're really pretty chill. He goes, you you don't you don't really feel crazy unless something's really wrong. Right. He goes, most of the time everything is really calm and really chill, and you just sort of zen, and you're just this is what you're doing, and you're just going through it, and you're putting the the powder in your hands, and you're sticking your hands in yeah. cracks, and you're just pulling yourself up he goes then you kind of get to the top yeah for hours yeah and doing shit that in his case doing shit that no one else does finger and stuff well i don't think they do that too much they try to just crawl i think those jumping up guys are fucking nuts but But it's all levels of nuts yeah well you know there was a a piece that they did in one of those television shows where they talked about Alex where this guy who was also a free climber was like look it's a matter it's not a matter of if he's going to fall it's a matter of when he's going to fall and he's going to die when he does and you know this guy's kind of freaking the fuck out but then he talked to Alex about it he's like man maybe not I don't know if he's going to fall this motherfucker might just keep doing that I mean he's a guy Alex Honnold that just that's what he does he lives in his van I mean, yeah. he's got a van with all these like drawers in it. Where this is where I put my toiletries. This is where I put my underwear. He's right. got like this. He's, this is he has a bed in the back of it. He sleeps in the bed, and then he just climbs everywhere. The the guys who get to that point of of human performance, there is a level. It's so weird. We discourage uh, obsessive compulsiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, we discourage it. I'm sure there are da- damaging things about it. But I mean, you tell me that fucking guy isn't the extremist version of that. Yeah. And yet, it's been focused in a way that stretches human performance. Yeah, yeah. I think there, this obsessive compulsive is almost the only way to achieve greatness. Yeah. I don't think there's any other way. I don't think you can be like this really relaxed, like, hey, easy come, easy go, you know, no big deal. No, you have to be a fucking maniac. Yeah. It's all about how much focus you have on th- that goal, how much yeah. intent you have yeah. on that action. And if you're, if you're not completely inse- obsessed, I've always said that greatness and madness are next door neighbors and they borrow each other's sugar. Fuck. 
because you, you don't you don't get there without the other. You have to be. I know when I was competing, when I was at my best, when I was a four-time state champion in Taekwondo, and I won the U.S. Open and a bunch of other tournaments. I was crazy. That's all I did. Yeah. I would train in the middle of the night because I knew that no one else was training. I used to have the keys to the gym, so I used to go to the the dojangs with the Koreans mm-hmm. call. I used yep. to go there at two o'clock in the morning because I had the keys and I would train knowing that no one else was training. And that was like, I felt like I had an edge yeah. that way. Yeah. And because I had see, I'd seen Mike Tyson talk about how he would run when everyone was asleep because he think he felt like he, his opponent was sleeping. Right. So that felt like that gave him an edge. Right. So, yeah. you know, I would like that. I would, yeah. and that kind of insanity, like I didn't have anything else going on in my life. Everything else I was a loser in, but I knew I was really good at Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. So that was what I, I was, I sucked at relationships. <laughs> I sucked at work. <laughs> I sucked at school. I sucked at everything except Taekwondo. So that became my 100% of my focus. And I know I was insane at that time. Yeah, I sure. know it was something, there was something wrong yeah. with me. It was a terrible way to live your life unless that's your only goal. Yeah. The scary thing is, let's say there's you know, 10,000 guys who are living that way at anything. Comedy, fuck, mm-hmm. fighting, anything. Only one of them is actually... We're going to get the 10,000 most obsessed mm-hmm. and we're going to find out who the very best most obsessed or... Gene- you know what I mean? The that- genetics and the obsession yeah. must come together yeah. in the perfect storm mm-hmm. because if you're competing and you have the same amount of obsession as some John Jones character... Fuck, that guy's just too goddamn strong, too yeah. big. Like, you see guys, like, get in there with John, and then when John locks up with them and then f- sends them flying through the air, they realize, oh, yeah. there's another level to this when, thing. When he almost took off to share his arm, that mm-hmm. must have been fucking terrifying. He's yeah. been in there with Chuck Liddell and every great fighter at 205 pounds over the last 10 years of not losing and training every day, and this guy does this to him? Tears his shoulder apart in the first round with some new move yeah. that he had been thinking about yeah. doing. John had just been thinking about it. Oh, John is so brilliant in his ability to improvise in the heat of battle. Like, he saw that Glover was loading up, so he decided to stand, like, right on top of him, and then he would anticipate, he would feel him loading up, and then avoid those shots and counter with elbows in tight. And he was fucking Glover up in the place where Glover thought that he was going to dominate. Yeah, and he went in there, and the things that just he never even planned to use, but a lifetime of Greco-Roman mm-hmm. playing in there, and all th- oh, shit, I win this position. Mm-hmm. Fuck it, we're going we're gonna to win it here then. Well, that you loose know? underhook, yeah. that was what allowed him you know Glover had this loose underhook so John just wrenched yeah. it just yank, yanked mm-hmm. on it with the overhook and tore his shoulder up man. and it must have been mentally freaky too it's yeah. like what the hell am I in here with mm-hmm. I thought I was just in here with a guy who punches and kicks and chokes like the rest right. of us right and what is he doing he's tearing off part of my body well That's John is just right. he's yeah. always adding new wrinkles like John is the first one of the first guys to really get good at that front leg side kick to the mm-hmm. thigh mm-hmm. I mean he's real and, and even on to the body on a downward angle too it's because scary. he's so tall yeah, yeah. yeah. well he and also, he's shooting down at your knee. Um, and John John dropped Vitor with a front leg side kick to the body. Mm-hmm. You know, That's those right. those long legs, man, have such a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. We only measure reach with, uh, <clears throat> with arms in MMA because we have this goofy system where all we do is copy boxing because yeah. it's <laughs> such a young sport. Yeah. We copy boxing when it comes to reach. We copy boxing when it comes to the 10-point must scoring yeah. system. Both things are woefully inadequate when it comes to MMA, but a big one is the reach of kicks. For sure. Because John can kick you from a, a range where you can't even touch him, and he's hitting you with his best yeah. weapon. Yeah. I mean, nobody... From the, an outside distance that he owns, yeah. and your only way to get past that is to go through that. Mm-hmm. 
come on, that's uh, it's barely fair. And his legs are so much strong. Everybody kicks harder than yeah. they punch. Everybody does. Yeah. And John's an excellent kicker. Yeah. So he's out there kicking the shit out of you, and you can't even yeah. touch him. Yeah. <laughs> and what are you going to start doing? You're going to start doing what Rashad did. Mm-hmm. Try to clear out of that range. Yep. You can't. I mean. You, the way to handle it, if it's humanly, mentally possible, is to pass it and get in there. Mm-hmm. But he's training you. The way you touch an element, you never touch it again. He's mm-hmm. doing that with his fucking kick in front of you. Also, I think it's fascinating that John is now at this level where he's been the champion for several years now, and he's very confident. Mm-hmm. And he's also used to these championship contests. He's used to yeah. the bright lights. He's used to the big event. It becomes a part of his every... He understands that experience very intimately. So when he gets in there, his championship fights with a guy like Glover, this is the big show for Glover. Right. Holy shit, right. this is it. And for John, like, here we go again. Yeah. And here we go again is very different than, oh, my God, this is yeah. it. Here we go again is a much more comfortable place. Because every other time I've been in this place, I won. Mm-hmm. People went crazy. I made a bunch of money, and I got even bigger. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in this place again. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I love that his, uh, his attitude after the Gustafson fight. Like, his attitude was, I've always been asking for a dog fight, yeah. and I got what I asked for. Yeah. You know, and yeah. this is a blessing. Yeah, and, he's, and you know it is. It is a blessing. You yeah. don't know. If you're just wrecking every guy, well, what happens the one day where I can't wreck you for four rounds? Well, now he knows. Yep. He knows what he happens. Knows he fucking wins, yeah. He dug, he dug deep. Yeah. That was one of the most important aspects of that fight is that he faced a guy, first of all, with the same sort of physical advantages that he has, a guy with a really long reach, a guy who's an excellent striker, a better, smoother, mm-hmm. more efficient striker than he is. Who took him down, mm-hmm. confu- added confusion to the to the equation. Yep, did something yeah. unpredictable, yeah. and then on top of that, he still won. Yeah. You know, and then, man, I was really looking forward to that rematch. It was a bummer when Gustafson yeah. hurt his knee, but... What's interesting is Gustafson hurt his knee. They canceled the fight, but now John hurt his I, knee, but the Cormier yeah, fight is still yeah. on. Yeah, well, it's, kind of, it's run by commerce. Yeah. Right? I mean, we have to. We're in the business. The, well, what's I don't the bigger own the fight? UFC. What's the bigger fight, though, in the your one, opinion? Well, I'm more interested. They're both pretty fucking good. They're both pretty fucking they're good. They're both pretty fucking good. I, like, bet Cormier both, is, I think they're both tens. Yeah, Cormier is so fascinating because we haven't seen it. You know, you see, all you got to do is flash up what he did to Dan Henderson, throwing him up in the air. No one's ever done mm-hmm. that to Dan Henderson. You got, and then you got all this heat that gets regular people excited. But, I mean, what happens when a, a guy got that close and uh, Gustafson's confident, he's, he believes he's going to win this time. He thinks he's learned some things. Like, that's real. T- you got to do them both. But I think you got to do the one that the people are most excited about, which is the one where guys fight on a stage and then say they're going to kill each other off right. camera. I think that's Now when, it's more exciting. Yeah, think, it's like almost yeah. like when, when Daniel Cormier grabbed John's neck and threw him back, he ensured that that fight was going to take mm-hmm. place. Yeah. You know, because, yeah. you know, if Gustafson got knee surgery and John can't fight until January, well, I mean, theory, we should go back to that. Yeah, in theory, that should be the fight. Mm-hmm. But everyone is so hyped up on the, the Cormier fight now. But, you know, Cormier went into that fight, like he agreed to that fight with a pre existing injury that he was pretty vocal about. Right. He has a partially torn ACL. He's got an MCL strain or a tear in his MCL. And he's, you know, now he has more of an opportunity to rehab it. But when you have a partially torn ligament, like especially an ACL ligament, I don't know how much rehab you yeah. can do. 
Yeah, you I know, mean, aren't you either get the surgery or you live with it in that mm-hmm. whatever seventy five percent state it's in until you get the surgery. I think yeah. it's a fifty percent state. Yeah. I think it's fifty percent torn. All three of those guys, it's knee issues. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a two hundred five thing. It's a height thing. It's, it's a, a high wrestling impact. thing. It's a wrestling. It's a thing. wrestling yeah. thing. Wrestling and jujitsu and well, like, I mean, even kickboxing, you're gonna have knee issues. Yeah. But just the the knee sucks. Yeah, it's a shitty design. Yeah, Shoulder sucks suck too. too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not that they suck. Yeah. It's that the human body's not designed yeah. for. MMA. Not for that. Especially no. not for jujitsu. Yeah, I mean, jujitsu sure. is all about testing the boundaries of your joints. Yeah, Oma Plata know? guys over there. That's shit. It's supposed to do that. Yeah, it's, it's awful. supposed to do that. Yeah. You know? And then there's a few guys like Keenan Cornelius that have just unbelievably ridiculous flexibility of their yeah. joints. Like, what is that from? Is that from straining them all the time yeah, and testing pushing them in it, gym? Like, you know, pushing the limit. Yeah. Like, in theory, how do you stretch your neck? You add those circles if you're, you know, mm-hmm. or you stretch your lip or whatever. Right. Can we do that with, with ligaments and soft tissue? I guess they can. But look at Hoyler Gracie when he fought Eddie. I'm going to tell you something. I've been in that position before. You know, that is a brute. When Eddie had that leg and he was twisting Hoyler's leg like that, that that's called the vaporizer. Yeah. It is an unbelievably no. painful position. I do not know how Hoyler didn't tap yeah mental that that i don't think that was some biological thing he's altered i think that was a guy just saying my life depends on you know his reputation who he is as a person his business all of those things depended so heavily on him not giving into pain and it's i true, think he was but, capable of, of doing that but he has a history of having incredibly flexible joints like when he fought sakuraba sakuraba had him in that oh, deep right. deep kimura and the referee stopped the fight and he was furious yeah. he's like i'm fine yeah. Like, he had his arm, like, cranked up behind his back. You know, first of all, it's crazy when you think of the fact that Hoyler Gracie fought Sakuraba, and Sakuraba fought Vitor Belfort and Vanderlei Silva. Like, think about the difference in size between those guys. I mean, incredible. Yeah. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, he won the fucking <laughs> Abu Dhabis at yeah. 145. Yeah. You know, how the and fuck? And fought those giants, yeah. How the fuck? <sighs> That was another time, and I mean, you. I love hearing stories from guys that were around in the early days when they're like, "Yeah, well, you know, we drove nine hours because they said we were gonna have a an MMA fight, and we got there, and they said, well, your opponent's not here. You got this guy, and it's like I weigh one forty, he's one seventy five. They're like close enough, fight him. Yeah, you know, that's Crazy. how it was. And well, who is that guy? Where does he train? I don't know. He just got out of prison. Or do you want the bouncer? I mean, right. and that's who you fought. And these lunatics on the front end of the sport were driving around for a hundred dollars, spending three hundred to get there not knowing i mean you didn't know if a guy knew the death touch or mm-hmm. something you didn't know if there was you didn't know if there was some other thing he could do yeah like, people believed in the death touch yeah, back then what if they knew it there's people still teaching that stupid shit I know, and there's people I out there that are also know. still teaching you know what we do works on the streets yeah the streets are very different mm-hmm. what you do is a sport yeah. that nonsense drives me fucking bananas yeah. I was on the Opie and Anthony show, and they used to have this guy that like did their security. He was this fucking fake karate guy, and he would always talk about like uh, street techniques. What we're doing is all about street street defense. And I go, let me let me tell you something, dude. What works on train killers mm-hmm. is the best shit. Yeah. All this nonsense about like street techniques, yeah. like you're gonna do that and do this, and that's gonna work better, and you're gonna fucking death touch somebody in their solar plexus and go after their pressure points. Bullshit. Yeah. It's all nonsense. Yeah. You know, and if you you try to bite somebody, let me tell you something. If a guy gets on top of you and mounts you, and you just bit him, he's gonna you, fucking kill you. Absolutely, he's gonna take your eyes out. Mm-hmm. He's gonna kill you. He's yep. gonna break your jaw. He's gonna tear your arms out of their sockets and leave you a cripple. 
And yeah. that a guy could do that. For sure. And if you get all this street shit in your head, it's listen. It's dangerous. But if you, you train Sistema or Krav Maga or whatever, and you're up against some dumbass, it'll be valuable. Sure. But if you're up against a trained fighter, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But you should because, always yeah. prepare for a trained mm. fighter. And that's mm. the difference between like these street systems versus real MMA. Like real MMA is the stuff that works. It, it's it's the best application the human body has when it comes to using your body in a combat sports scenario. It's the best. Yeah. That's yeah. the reason why you don't see kung fu in MMA. I mean, Roy Nelson jokingly calls himself a kung fu yeah. fighter, and I know he has actually done some yeah. kung fu training. But the reality is, Roy's throwing a fucking yeah. heavy overhand right, For sure. and he's got a black belt yeah. in jujitsu to yeah. back it up. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if I mean, hey, if, if for whatever reason you like wearing a kung fu outfit and, and doing all this stuff, it makes you feel good, fuck yeah. go train it for sure. Yeah. But don't try to tell professional athletes and people who analyze that all day, every day, that this thing is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. Because why the fuck isn't George St. Pierre using it? George exactly. used to, uh, he told me one time that he just, he said it, I'm sure it's, it happens to you a lot too, that he, uh, people will come up to him and say, hey George, you know, uh, hey, uh, you do really good, man. Hey, we should train together. I have Kung Fu Studio down the street. You know? And they would literally, I could teach you some shit and really literally believe Mm -hmm. Now, when they're talking to the greatest fighter in the world at the time, that they got some secret shit back on the, the on Saint Denis Street in Quebec in Montreal that he could teach George Saint Pierre. This guy really fucking yep. believes that. They really believe they got some death touch. They got to pull out, and George is gonna go. This is going yeah. to change my whole career. <laughs> yeah, Thank you for teaching me death touch. That shit's gotta happen to you too, right? Oh yeah. Well, there's always some guy that says that he has some new thing that no one's ever seen before. Or he has his yeah. master can't be defeated. Or right. there's a bunch of knuckleheads yeah. out there, man. There's a bunch. But George is an amazingly patient guy. I've yeah. seen George deal with a lot of fucking people. He's a, <laughs> the, one of the nicest guys yeah. that's ever reached like a super high level of any combat sport. Yeah. And really open-minded. Like, he'll listen oh, to, yeah. like, I've seen him exchange techniques with people. Yeah. I've, I saw I've him trained do the, the uh, turning sidekick with him. And yeah. he had his knee low. Yeah. He was using his knee low. Mm -hmm. And without question, you train fucking Taekwondo for 10 years competing all over. That's how you do a, a turning sidekick. Yeah. And he got, and he understood that. Yeah, well, it was, uh, that was a weird moment because John Donaher, who's a friend of mine, uh, was talking and we were out to eat after a fight, me, him, and Eddie. And uh, he said, do you guys know any good Taekwondo guys? George wants to work on the mechanics of his spinning back oh, kick. And I said, this is going to sound yeah. so stupid. But I have to say it, like, I have a great spinning back yeah. kick. Like, my spinning back kick, I, I really know how to do it yeah. better than anybody. Yeah. And, you know, you say that and people yeah. go, get the but, fuck out of here. But, I mean, you're a fucking uh, lifetime martial arts expert. I mean, I know, why the fuck can't you say still, that? Because I'm a comedian yeah, and, and right, a fucking right. commentator. Yeah, right, I'm not right, a fighter. Right, right, you know, yeah. I mean, that, those that, days that, are long gone. Yeah, but, but that doesn't mean that a, a lifetime mastery of a technique isn't... You know? That's true, but so many people have ridiculous right. egos. There's so many, right. and I'm not going to name any names, but yeah. I know a lot of guys that are involved in the same sort of thing that I'm involved in. And yeah. They'll tell you that they're great, and then you train with them. Yeah. You're like, oh fucking yeah. Christ, I'm wasting yeah. my time. Yeah, so sure. I had this moment where I was like, Should tell I? George if he wants to train. And then Eddie told him, like, dude, seriously, you got to see yeah. this guy kick. And I'm like, this sounds yeah. so stupid. Yeah. Like, no one's going to yeah. believe me. Yeah. And so but then the George showed is, up. Yeah. 
So I was ho- I was hoping, you know, when George showed up, like that he wasn't like, okay, come on, show me. Yeah. You know, this is stupid. Yeah. Why am I wasting my time? But he was focused. Well, once I kicked the bag once. Yeah, right. And then he right. went, oh, oh shit, yeah. like this is yeah. real. Yeah. And then you could see like like he got this, like I'm actually going to get something out of this yeah. as opposed to like the, I'm just being nice yeah. to Joe because we're friends right. and yeah. I'm going to go humor him and yeah. you know he's going to throw some <laughs> pussy ass kicks. And, <laughs> yeah, right. But when he saw me kick a bag, you know, when you ha- kick a 200-pound bag and it goes flying and then it puts it in your head, you go, oh, oh I get it. I yeah. get it now. But it was his open-mindedness was so impressive because I wouldn't have listened to me. Yeah. I would, yeah. have, I would have been like, bitch, get the fuck yeah. out of here. <laughs> like George is going to give you advice on your job. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, but, you know, if you have an open mind. But uh, I, uh, when I did that TV show where I was learning to fight, I trained with George. And uh, we'd use that on the show. And I was terrible. Like, I mean, I literally was trying to take, grow, playing, uh, doing Taekwondo growing up and add kind of boxing my head. Like, I'm fucking horrible. And I'd never wrestled a day in my life. I was doing jiu-jitsu like 10 times a week for whatever number of months. Never. And that will forever. People will just put that on and go, holy <laughs> fuck, this guy's terrible. This guy's, and it is bad. But, I mean, what the fuck? You're doing a TV show about taking some guy who wears eye makeup and trying to teach him to fight. He happens to be there in with George. Of course he's terrible, you know? Yeah. You know? Well, that's uh, a beautiful thing about martial arts or any difficult endeavor is that you start off everybody starts off they suck if you don't have those techniques you don't know what you're doing you're not going to be good and then as you train you get better and when you get better you it's like you go down a path and then you can stop and pause and look back and go look where i started i started yeah, way back there for sure. and now here i am sure. i'm getting better and then you turn around and you go but look how far i got to yeah, go yeah. and that's, that's exciting yeah well that's the beautiful thing about martial arts is that there are so many levels yeah. and when we're seeing in mixed martial arts is like the jujitsu is still at a fairly low level. Yeah. I think the jujitsu is still like purple belt level mm-hmm. at even like a high level. It's not like Marcelo Garcia, like high level black yeah. belt. The striking is still at a fairly low level. We're not seeing Ernesto Hoost yet. We're not seeing these like ridiculously technical, absolutely yeah. perfect executions of striking technique. We're getting closer. Yeah. We're getting closer with the jujitsu. We're getting closer with the striking, but there's room to grow. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing new techniques now like how many people are throwing wheel kicks now there was no wheel kicks up until terry edam fought Ed, edson barboza yeah. but you know there was a there was a um uh like this has been ha- this has been seen before like when mm-hmm. tony hawk did the four things right you right, know right, right, within right. a year 10 guys could do mm-hmm. it and did it in t- training yeah. the quad and and figure skating mm-hmm. nobody could do it now fucking college level figure skaters do the wow. quad because four when, minute mile yeah yeah, yeah. when yeah. it happens once mm-hmm. suddenly it's now real humans do this mm-hmm. just because i mean just because that guy did it not every guy thinks he can do it but some guys think they can yeah do it. it's an amazing yeah. thing to watch the actual growth yeah. i love it i'm yeah. so fascinated yeah, me by too, it man me too. It's such like, a cool aspect yeah. of, of martial arts to be there while this is all going mm-hmm. down and see this this thing evolving and getting better. Front kicks to the face now. Yeah. Same it, thing. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, there's the quad and figure yeah. skating. They're all doing it. Front, front kicks in play for almost every good striker now. Mm-hmm. That's in play for real. We're also seeing a lot of that sideways karate stance like Ryan yeah. Jimmo does mm-hmm. and, and Gunnar Nelson yep. does and Lyoto does. Mm-hmm. That sideways karate yeah. stance is a totally different thing. Some guys, you see, are using it they grew up using it and when they're and for a a right-handed guy it's whenever they switch 
the stance and the right foot is fo- in the front is when you're going to see it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yes. it's suddenly like not as camouflaged anymore. Not only are guys using it, but it's like, oh shit, he's in that stance. I better watch out for. Well, the you side see kick. a lot of front leg kicks off yeah. the the dominant stance, mm-hmm. the dominant leg. Yeah, it's it's. There's not a lot of guys who develop that powerful front leg left side kick. They develop it off the right leg. Do you remember when uh, Chris Clements did a did a yes. spinning thing on that? I yeah. broke that down. Yeah. And the big question people had was how did he know to do that? And yeah. when you look at at it, you see Wonder Boy, and he turns sideways, and Chris and me, and I froze it and said, look in here. There, this is a moment, Chris grew up doing Taekwondo. Chris mm-hmm. is a, a yes. traditional martial artist as well. So he knows when this right leg comes forward, and the stance is distributed this way, mm-hmm. either a side kick is coming, or a hook kick is coming. Or a round kick, yeah. front leg round yeah. kick. And, yeah. and it was, the hip was flared enough mm-hmm. that he, it was probably, you didn't, it was, the, the round kick wasn't as in play because of the position of how far his shoulder or hip was. Mm-hmm. So then we freeze it and say, that's what he knows, he knows from a lifetime of that, that both of those are in play. Now what, let's watch. He throws the side kick and go, freeze. Now, Chris, in his mind, would know if this still happens, the next option, since he's just giving me a sidekick, his point is hoping to drop my hands and hook kick me in the head. Mm -hmm. When he saw that happen, there was a little flare of the hip, and his brain goes, oh, yeah, that's coming. And then he timed it on the hook kick. But it was his ability to kind of see the future. You know what I mean? Like he could see. And we predict the future all the time. When you go to open a door handle, the reason if it was really hot or if it was spongy that you'd be surprised is because your brain was predicting what a door handle would feel like. Yeah, and that's what you were talking about earlier when it comes to uh, pattern recognition, that that's a big thing with pattern recognition. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's definitely what guys are playing with. Like, um, uh, Do you know Adam uh, Zuchek? He trains Sarah Kaufman, but he's also kind of a secret weapon for Greg Jackson. He's up in Victoria, B.C., and Mm -hmm. he sends guys up there to do certain things. He's very talented. And we were talking about after Sarah's fight, uh, Kaufman's fight, her last one in Quebec City, she was throwing a lot of off-tempo things, which he taught her because she's a dancer, right? So he, uh. he can work footwork off time and ri- different rhythms with her. But uh, uh, he was also talking about pattern recognition and how him and Greg Jackson, that's one of the things they're on heavy, is training you to expect certain patterns chunking those patterns Mm -hmm. that your brain anticipates and then giving you a surprise and that's on the front end of some of their thinking right now so fast fuck yeah man and it's and what's so cool is when you have that many great minds doing it now you got one of these guys thinking that but you got Dwayne over here fucking Mm -hmm. thinking this and now Hume's over there and there's all these different guys in there Duke Rufus is in Wisconsin and he's looking at it and trying to break it down and then put them against each other and the lessons that we learn there Everybody's going to go back in their labs and prepare for the next one. Yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah. Dude, we're out of time. Yeah, but this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, Th- Robin. A lot hey, of man, fun, man. Really, thank you for having me. It's a real thrill. And, and thanks for digging my stuff. Thanks hey, for I appreciate it. that you're doing it. I, I really appreciate you, you doing the podcast, too. And we got to do this again, man. I love How to. often are you in LA? My wife's working here right now. So I'm visiting a little bit. She's in theater. So uh, not all that often, a couple times a year, but I love to. I'll come back. I'll bring some beer. We'll do it again. We'll do it again for sure. Follow him, Robin Black MMA, on Twitter. And uh, where can people see? the videos yeah are... check out Fight Network uh, fightnetwork.com we got some stuff but Fight Network is a 24 hour television station it's in Canada and it's now in New York New Jersey uh, Connecticut Texas and it's on Roku and you can call up any cable uh, provider and say I want Fight Network and, and it's it's a 24 hour fight channel and that's beautiful, where I'm at beautiful alright and thanks to our sponsor thanks to LegalZoom go to LegalZoom.com enter in the code word ROGAN in the referral box at checkout to save yourself some cash thanks also to NatureBox 
Go to naturebox.com slash Rogan. That's naturebox.com slash Rogan and get 50% off your month's first box. Thanks also to onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. All right, we will be back in about 20 minutes with Scroobius Pip. Much love. See ya. Take care. Big kiss. Mwah. 